to the quarter to three movie podcast for the beguiled. My name is Tom Chick. I'm here with Christian Mukowski. Uh, they call me McM. And with a beguiled tagline, Kelly Wand. It's like the first act of Wonder Woman, but with a better ending. I'm trying to See, remember like the first s- act of like the oh the oh oh I see, I'm getting it now. I'm getting it. Think Wonder about Woman, it. Yeah, yeah. Wonder Woman didn't make much of an impression on me, but if I think back on it, I think I get what you're getting. Soldier lands at an island of women and right. a nurse back to health, just right. like in the book styles. But if Wonder Woman had followed this arc, it would have been better. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Kelly, do you have other taglines? Because the studio might not like that one because it, yeah, it less... up too much business for Wonder Woman. That, yeah, everyone will be going, wait, what's the connection? I didn't like, oh, okay. It'll be like you, like yeah. when they see the poster. Uh, not many people like that movie, like me. I mean, I'm, I'm basically representative of the the public's reaction at large to Wonder Woman. Right. Yeah. And probably the public's reaction to understanding what that joke meant. Then <laughs> <laughs> it's not in. Well, give us an easier one than Kelly Wand. The rest are much simpler. Uh, finally, a movie about white women's problems in the Civil War South. <laughs> Uh, that, that's not funny at all. I'm, I'm, I, I'm sorry. That's just that's in poor taste, Kelly Wand. I'm harumph, harumph, harumph. Uh, the ending syncs up perfectly with Wild Wild West. I don't uh, understand that one, and neither did my cat. That's dumb. Um, <laughs> neither did my dog or my pet spider. It's like rough night, but the, it's going. <laughs> but the guy has a weird accent. <laughs> See, are there more like this? There's only one left, Tom. Awesome. What is it? Past this part of the podcast forever, (laughs) and I can get back to talking about the Entourage movie with you. (laughs) It's like the survivalist, mushroom-wise. Can we just cut that one out? What? Because there's actually thing. I mean, it's worth discussing, but you're like you you made light of it now. So now uh, the, I forgot the the issue has been frivolized. I get it, but it's too spoilery. Tom, did you say frivolized? I like that. I did. Yeah. I like that a lot. I don't That's even it. know which one you're talking about being frivolous. Uh, oh, I guess the, well, you know, save that for the podcast you know, when yeah, we start discussing yeah, in earnest. And in the meantime, Dingus, some folks might be listening to this podcast thinking, The Beguiled, what is that? I haven't seen it. Maybe I should see it. Give them a little bit of information, Dingus, without spoiling anything like Kelly Wan just now did. That's what I do. <laughs> this week we saw The Beguiled, a oh. 2017 American drama movie. Uh, sorry, a 2017 American drama remake movie about how good Nicole Kidman is with the others. It was directed and written for the screen by air quotes around written by the screen, written for the screen by Sofia Coppola based on the screenplay by Albert Maltz and Irene Kemp, which is all based on a novel by Thomas Cullinan that was originally published as a painted devil. That was the original title of the published really? novel. A Painted Devil, yes. Huh. It stars Una Lawrence, Angry Rice, Addison Rieke, Emma Howard, Elle Fanning, Kirsten Dunst, Nicole Kidman, and Colin Farrell. The Beguiled, 2017, 
is rated R. What? I know. I don't for know. some sexuality. And there's probably what? smoking. Does anyone smoke? I guess not. Nope. It's just rated R for some sexuality. Kelly Wan, do you, are you okay with that rating? Do you feel that there should be any changes made? I say it's good for preteens and pregnant women only. <laughs> wow. No one else can get in, according to my rating. Uh, this had too limited of a release for CinemaScore, so idiots did not get to grade it. But I'm guessing they would have given it a mm, B minus. It's just a guess. Because of the title? Because of the title? Could be. I don't know. Who knows what's in the head of idiots, Kelly Wong? child. I get it. Here, Tom. Uh, limited release. Uh, so we're not really – it's box office. doesn't count for anything, so we're just going to skip past all that. Actually, what, yeah, it's made about $7 million. Uh, it's made about $7 million over a week or so. So I like not bad. It's yourself first and then announce it into your headphones. Well, I, I forgot to look this up beforehand, so this this is just coming in. This is new information. This is fresh. We're just now getting this off of the press. Uh, Metacritic, it's at 77. That's oh, 77. Rotten Tomatoes. 79% of the reviews are positive. So that means 21% of the reviewers were like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, this world. Seven, 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 seven. <laughs> Kelly Wand, now it is time for you to yes. relate the events of The Beguiled in what we will call a bequilopsis. <laughs> I like that you changed the first word. Or <laughs> a beguiled. Am I close? What was your guess? I was too busy focusing on the first part. You the Beguilopsis. Sure. Tell <laughs> <laughs> you put as much thought into this as I have. Yeah, I did. I like yours more than what I had. I just had the Beguipsis, but would you you added a W? Well, beguile. The word guile has a you know it's probably what is that French or something. If you if you were to you could look at this and might, you might think it's pronounced beguiled. Like yeah. you didn't know any better, so I, I'm assuming you know you could play with that for the name of a synopsis, the Bigwilopsis. See, although you don't pronounce the W when you well, there say is no W. Exactly, <laughs> you don't pronounce it. You don't. You don't say. Who cares? Yeah, right. you, the Bigwi, like Guido. Put, Guido. Yeah. He also put B at the beginning, like Bigwil. He did a whole weird thing instead of Bugile. Yeah. But we know he adds wheel. Tom adding E's is a known thing because when oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Adding W's, phonetic W's, not real ones. It's not my fault that I know English and you guys don't. It's weird. It's like well, one U, but you add one. All right, Kelly Wan, enough of these shenanigans. We're 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 <laughs> on tinter hooks, waiting to find out what the deal is with this movie. Oh, the beguipsis. Yeah, according to you. Yeah, that works. Some words are all Civil War times. Duh. <laughs> Colin Farrell leaves acting and wakes up with a shot leg under a tree during the American Civil War. <laughs> Already shot. That was the confusing part to him, probably. I get the time trouble. <laughs> it's a bit of a rush job, this one. You know, things like this. Uh... The only brunette girl in the South finds him. 
Kirsten Dunst, Neon Demon, and a couple jailbaits live with Nicole Kidman in a plantation or music school. She makes them all carry Colin Farrell into a sofa room and dump him on a sofa made out of hogsheads. Nicole removes Colin Farrell's jerkin and his dungarees and starts slowly washing his pancreas. <laughs> and cankles. My girlfriend begins masturbating. For her part, Kidman does the Victorian version of this. She laves her face with sweat that she keeps in a chamber pot under a brass wall mirror shaped like a saddle. The next morning... Nicole! I occasionally liked how you captured me culture in Far and Away, and also in the upcoming Aquaman. Noted leprechaun Colin Farrell. Yeah. I didn't buy him as an Irishman, but I do He's buy him. magically meat. delicious. Mm-hmm. And you've never been more beautiful than in the hours. <laughs> or more relatable than in To Diefer. <laughs> Listen, Sparky, let's get one thing straight. This isn't some flop house. I think it's a convent. Anyway, the second that leg is better, I'm sending you back to the front to kill some of me cousins. I still consider me box of cereal with your character's face on it from Batman Forever, one of me lucky charms. Not too many ladies were love interests to two top guns. Also, eyes wide shut is how I watched it. He's like Quint, huh? Nicole realizes she's about to kiss him, blushes, pulls away, and goes, Damn you and your dirty pancreas! She storms off and slams the door and eventually realizes she walked into a closet. Kirsten Dutt smashes through a nearby wall with a drinking glass cup to her ear. She's all, Oh, uh, hi, uh... That might be better than anything she's actually done as a performance. That was great. <laughs> That's her Fargan character, kind of. That really, yeah, that just was her. And her Spider-Man <laughs> character. And her Antoinette character. And her interview with the vampire And her, you'll see. Yeah, well. She smashes through a wall with a drinking glass cup to her ear because she was listening. <laughs> Oh, hi. Oh. oh, I, um. She farts nervously. She's all, I picked these for you. She holds out some padlocks. Miss Kirsten, may I say that you losing to the Black Lassies and Bring It On was the first thing I thought of when Best Picture was announced this past February. <laughs> That's dissolved. Oh, you. And may I say that your iconic upside-down Spider-Man kiss is similar to something I do, but further down, with different body parts, but through three women at once, and a gerbil who's not too picky. Is it hot in here, or is it just this fire in the fireplace the back of my dress is catching fire from? (laughs) From the closet, Nicole's all. Someone let me out of here, please! That's still happening, Tom. <laughs> Beguiled. 
Also, I can hear everything one of you is saying. Kirsten, would you like to know something? <laughs> I actually did a lot of research to play a lobster. <laughs> Guess I should have read the script first. Kirsten fans herself and goes, Whew, my goodness, Corporal. I think I'm having a case of the vapors. She farts again. L. Fanning comes out from under the bed and goes, All the losers gone yet? Almost. Speaking of which, Miss Fanning, I really loved your work in War of the Worlds. That long-necked alien thing that made you scream in the basement. Certain body part of mine has a similar tip. And it makes you scream. Elf Fanning's all. Thanks. I also think I was in that. And might I say... (laughs) Maybe I should write all these at the last second. And might I say that in Neon Demon... I didn't much care for your looks, just your character's personality. I might be thinking of Ashley Benson. She's all, ah. The plucky fat little girl's head pops up through the window behind Colin and goes, I picked those cherries you're eating. (laughs) Also, that bullet in your leg, that's also from me. The next day, Kristen Dunst watches as Colin works in the garden. He plants a rock in the soil and waters it. Then he picks up an axe and hacks down some corn plants and chops all the ears into bits and stamps on them with his bad leg, wincing. Dunst is all, yeah, I don't think you get how gardening works. Or let me choose. He's all, you should see me, soldier. She's all, why are you Irish in this? Was Sophia high? Oh, that Miss Sophia. She's the only character I even remember from the Godfather trilogy. Sophia walks on screen, blushes, and goes, Colin! She stares at him hungrily. Dunst is all, hey, get back behind the camera, bitch. We've seen your acting plenty. (laughs) Through the open window, Kidman's all, someone let me out of the closet! It's the next day, Tom. No one cares is the joke. That night, to get Colin horny, all the hard-up females put on their most homespun pantaloons, wax extra starch into their bonnets, fire up the harpsichord and tambourines, and regale a seated Colin with its hard-knock light. And every sperm is sacred. Colin claps politely, which makes him lose his cane. He falls with a thud, re-breaking his leg. As he rides screaming on the floor, the girls all stare lustfully at his protruding shin bone. Drool glistens on the fat girl's lip. The look on her face is all, wants me a drumstick. That night... Colin, you awake. It's me, Dunst. I remember what you said this afternoon about how beautiful you found my locks of hair, so I made cookies out of them. Also, this diaphragm. Ready? Colin, L. Fanning, Kirsten, L. Fanning's all. 
Me? Collins all. Kirsten, me Blarney Stone, this tape, what'd it be looking like? Dunst is all. Um, it looks like your penis is inside Elle Fanning's vagina, and she's somehow blowing you at the same time. Oh, then I guess it is what it looks like. Sorry, I thought it was darker in here. Also, in Ireland, we use a different word for vagina. We call it a bagora, or a wee bairn, just FYI. The girl from Raw raises her mouth, dripping with blood from Colin's leg wound, and goes, You heard him, Kirsten. It's not what it looks like. Mr. Roper, hearing all this through the window, remains sound asleep in bed. <laughs> the audience laughs and cheers excitedly. Nicole Kidman finally realizes the closet's unlocked, walks in and goes, Right, don't worry, sweet Colin. I got rid of those stupid Confederate soldiers at the door by giving them those top-secret documents I found in your satchel about troop movements and also which play Lincoln wants to see first once the war's over. They left laughing, then shouted they could see a silhouette up here through the window. Then they laughed some more and left. I'm also no longer in the closet. Kirsten! Elle Fanning! The girl from Raw! Colin again! Nicole, it's not what it looks like. I'm assuming you can't see me around Kirsten's head at the moment. Tom Cruise sticks his head out of the sheets near Colin, Colin's pelvis and goes, Nicole, it's not what it looks like. Lenny Kravitz sticks his head out, too, but says nothing. Nicole's all, this explains so much. The little fat girl walks in and goes, Colin, it's me, the fat one. Hey, tell me what you meant this morning when you whispered you want to be my black Philip." Nicole, L, Kirsten, Tom, Dingus, Markardson. <laughs> Stinky, this isn't what it looks like. Sophia tiptoes in and goes, Psst, Colin, it's me. Hey, I cosplayed the camera girl. I thought maybe we could have sex. I noticed how you've been looking at me lately, asking me how to say lines and also saying the lines I wrote you and telling me how overrated my dad's movie One from the Heart is. I think that's cute of you. I just got to remember to edit this part out later and not put it in the movie. Kirsten, L, Stinky, Cosby, Sophia, this isn't what it looks like. Kirsten loses interest first and heads for the stairs. <laughs> Kirsten, wait. I thought some of them were you. Here, let me stand at the top of these stairs on my bad leg. Wah! The next day. What the? You potato famines cut me leg off. I thought we'd use CG to fake that somehow. The fat girl's all, hey, Colin, check out this turtle. <laughs> what the? Get that bored thing out of me face. What kind of movie is this? He shoots a chandelier and hops outside to yell at some leaves. <laughs> Dun Kirsten Dunst is all. Well, I guess if he was a woman, his name would be Eileen Nicole's. <laughs> oh, hang on, Dingus. It's not over. <laughs> Nicole Kidman's all. Or if she's Asian, Irene. See? It is for me, sister. Bailing and Dingus both look over at me and roll them up, roll their eyes. The fat girl's off. <laughs> hey, I know. Let's poison him. Since I'm ten, I make a common habit of picking poison mushrooms. 
That's my character. <laughs> L. Fanning Saul. He did tell us he's leaving in the morning. With the whole leg thing, I get the sense he's over, most of us. They're all, eh, let's do the poison. Yeah. Hotel <laughs> Kirsten. Yeah, Kirsten. Okay. Poison. No Kirsten. Yeah. Yeah. That night. Ladies, I'd like to say shooting your chandelier today was the most damage I've done to the Confederacy since the war started. Do you have any more of them? Here, Colin, these are poison. <laughs> Kirsten, you hate poison mushrooms, remember? Oh, yeah. I guess I just now forgot what foods I don't like. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> that was close. Mm mm mm. These are delicious. Me, ladies, a toast to better relations going forward between the sexes. Because deep down, I think we're all pretty compatible. <laughs> he clutches his throat and convulses on the floor as blood pours out of his nipples and finally goes still. Dunst is all. I second that toast. Cheers. The next day, Kidman makes the other girls carry Colin's bandaged body down the front steps of the plantation. Tom Cruise walks up, scowls at Nicole, and goes, A mummy, too? <laughs> haven't you already taken enough from me (laughs) the Colin mummies all Uh, yeah uh, I think those mushrooms just paralyzed me hello Uh, (laughs) is this like a period piece after hours Uh, Sophia also, why does my mummy look like it has two legs? Sophia, hello. What's the sense? Who's directing this shit? Some words are off. With Colin Farrell dead, the Union quickly won the Civil War. The end. <laughs> oh, Kelly Wand. Thank you. Uh, Kelly Wand, this week's 3x3 three three is Dingus's. I'm announcing next week's 3x3. Three three. So since you don't have a lot to do on this podcast, why don't you start out by telling us what's something that's better than the beguiled, what's something that's not quite as good at it as it, and what's your overall takeaway on this movie? Well, Tom, I'm glad you asked that. Um, <laughs> my over-under theme this week is guys with broken legs and crazy chicks. Mm. So my overs... I see where fall. this is going. Yeah. It's what? My over's the fall, that tarsum one. Ah, with, right, uh, yeah, with Lee Pace, with the Lee Pace, uh, busted yeah. legs, and the mm-hmm. little Utinka, what's her last name? The little precious Romanian girl. She yeah. reminded me, the little girl in this, the one that oh, yeah. Kelly Wan kept uh, making fun of, the fat little girl, reminded me of her. Yeah. Right, but in the fall, she's not fat, she's French, I think. Romanian. Oh, well, uh, yeah. Spanish. Or blind. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, then Lee Pace is Southern. That's the response I was hoping for. So then my other <laughs> over is misery. And then my under is... Wait a minute. Did you just have two overs? Well, it's my backup over. Wow, I didn't know that was allowed. All right. And then my uh, my under is Disturbia. And my other right. under is... Yeah, 100, right. 127 hours. All right. Guys broke crazy chicks. And then my other over-under is movies about groups of women getting annoyed with an out-of-towner. 
So my over is the Wicker Man and the, the old one, and then mine is the new Wicker Man for Nicholas Cage. Who are the crazy chicks in 127 Hours? Um, Amber Tamblin and that other girl. They were crazy. They were just like fun-loving girls who hung out. I with know. Them. Yeah, they, they were, were crazy, crazy fun. Crazy well, no. fun. Ah, okay. I see what he did, Dingus. He he, he plucked that one out of the fire. All right, They're crazy kind of fun. All right, fair enough. Sure. A cave with him. Kelly so. had like six over unders. Tom, yeah, yeah, I was I quite. A, come up with one. It what? Oh, what? It will take some of his. He's got plenty to spare. Right. In either either category. No, I just couldn't come up with an under. I had a hard time with that. So uh, I'll choose. I'll choose disturbing. <laughs> wow. He had a hard time coming up with an under. That ooh, interesting. And even, if you guys remember, I don't think I think I'm the only one who's done this. I opted out of an over for Fury Road. No, I'm so, going to get in trouble for my under on this one, I'm afraid. Uh, I don't think – I think this is a law – this is like a frontier. There's no law, as far as I know, on the over-under. Yeah. So, well, you know, okay. we'll find out. Kelly Wan, so overall, what did you think of this movie? I love the look on Nicole Kidman's face after the fat kid's all. He liked mushrooms. She just was like, hmm, I really like that part. Um, <laughs> but – Something – well, I don't know if I want to talk about this yet, but I, I'm, I think I'm the only one of the three of us who's seen the Clint Eastwood one directed by uh, Don You're Siegel. correct. I have not seen it. I, Dingus, okay. did you watch it this week? Yeah, that's my over. Okay, so Dingus and yeah. you have both seen the Don Good Siegel over. one. I'm, pr- so I'm, then, pretty, I'm pretty happy with the, uh, with the Clint Eastwood one, i got to tell you. Okay, yeah, so – I guess I'll wait when you, until you talk about that because there's a big difference between the two that I've oh, noticed. Oh yeah, yeah. And then I want—I don't know if you know the reason for the difference, but it's really, really stupid. I don't know the reason, but I know what the difference. I understand the differences between them, and yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty. I'm pretty. Uh, I'm pretty enamored of the other beguiled. Yeah, I am too. I like chunks of this though, but. I liked some of the acting, and I liked that it, it was really funny in parts. Like, the girls are kind of funny, the way they're all just kind of, like, competing. Well, hold that thought. Okay, so Dingus, you're over, then, is the original Beguiled. Why don't you guys go ahead and uh, what, what are the big, what's the big difference that uh, apparently made you like the original more, Dingus? Um, first of all, uh, part of the difficulty is when you're watching the original, you do kind of feel like you're watching a TV movie just by the way it's filmed. Yeah. Uh, um. But you just kind of have to get used to because this one is so atmospheric and everything's smoky and smoky and poorly lit and um, it and that kind of thing, which can work sometimes. Um, the, the reason it's my over is that I think that it understands sexuality of women, or to put it in a more appropriate term, as uh, Alexandra gave me this word, who I saw both of these movies with and understands the carnal it it has an understanding of carnal of carnal nature better than the movie that we just saw and i don't quite understand why a movie from 1971 which i think is the original beguiled um is more frank in its sexuality uh than a movie in 2017 which seems far more puritanical in its understanding of female sexuality and also just is i think extremely poorly edited i mean there are things i really did like about it but on on the whole it it kind of left me feeling meh 
And after watching it, I watched the original Beguiled, and I felt like I understood these characters. I understood their their uh, motivations. I got their sexuality. I got what he was going for in a much clearer and more exciting way than I got from watching this particular movie. Well, what's your under? My under would be Picnic at Hanging Rock. Ah, oh, what? I know. See, I knew I would get in trouble for that. Yeah, um, you're in trouble. I know. That's fine. Hey, I know I'm about? crazy. I understand that. About? I understand that. But Picnic at Hanging Rock puts me to sleep. I'm sorry. It's just so languid. It's just too it's languid so for me. And it, and it feels like it's being shot through gauze, which a lot well, it of literally is. <laughs> it yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of this movie feels like the same. It feels like it's being shot through smoke or darkness. And again, sometimes that can work. Here, I don't think it does. And in Picnic and Hanging Rock, I know this is unpopular opinion because he's a huge filmmaker and it's a really important movie to a lot of people. But every time I watch it, I fall asleep. I don't think that's unpopular. I don't think Picnic at Hanging Rock is... Uh, it's not a movie for modern audiences. I mean, it's, it's very much of a piece. It's a niche. It was bold at the time for what it did. Uh, it's a bit of a cinematic curio. I, I love it, right. but I don't know that it's I would. It's slow as shit. He's right about that. But that's one reason I really like it. It's you love it, but what, Tom? I love it, but I don't know that I would recommend it to many people the way that I would some of the classic horror movies from – what is that, 77, 75? I don't know what year it is, but considering know. this is the same era as, as stuff like Jaws and Don't Look Now and Rosemary's Baby, Picnic at Hanging Rock, those movies I wouldn't hesitate to recommend to anybody who likes modern horror. Picnic at Hanging Rock, I, I don't know that I, I would. Uh, it's more a – I don't want to say art house because it's not Mood really piece. what it's doing. Mood piece kind of works. Sure, yeah. Yeah. And by the way, that's why I, I do say see the new Beguile because I think it, as a, I'm not being ironic. I think this movie is a pretty funny comedy. <laughs> the new one, I don't feel well, the Doctor one's a good movie. Um, uh, well, my under is also Picnic at Hanging Rock, which I love. I loved this movie, by the way. I, I, I'm a little uh, concerned now that I haven't seen the original. Uh, which I I just kind of wrote off thinking the 70s Don Siegel didn't Don Siegel do the Harry the Dirty Harry movies Kelly Wong? yeah he, yeah, he did those your, and he did Invasion of the Body Snatchers did you say your under is also Picnic yeah yeah which I love though oh, okay. I love Picnic I had a hard time with an under for this because I I love this movie uh, I love we'll, we'll talk a bit about what it does with sexuality but I love that Sofia Coppola I. I mean, this is, I think she's trying to make a movie about sexuality in 1864, not in 1971, certainly not in 2017. Yeah. I don't know what sexuality was like back then, uh, but I'm fascinated by the way she uses it to tell this story and to have us consider, is this relevant to women today? Um, so as a, as a thought piece, I, I loved this thing. As, as a mood piece, I loved this thing. Uh, for the weird structure of it, I loved this. For the cast, I loved this. I loved the look of it. Sofia Coppola has clearly been influenced by Picnic at Hanging Rock for some time, and she's been very open about that. Uh, but oh, I did as, as, okay. yeah, as a filmmaker, her movies, even something wacky like Lost in Translation, have a very dreamlike quality. And I think she's a girl who grew up with Picnic at Hanging Rock on Hanging Rock and was influenced by it. Uh, and, and yeah, she's definitely said as much. So I think this is her truest nod to uh, Picnic. Is it at or on Hanging Rock? It's at because they don't they're not it's allowed at. to go on the rock. So it's at Hanging Rock. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I like both. I like both of the movies a lot. So this is very 
closely bracketed. Uh, I also had a hard time coming up with an over because of how much I liked this. And so the under is Picnic at Hanging Rock because that also is very much about uh, the undoing of a, a, a female dynamic, a dynamic between a bunch of women. Uh, mm-hmm. What happens when that falls apart? And Picnic at Hanging Rock is a very different statement to make about that than The Beguiled, but they both – that's kind of the crux of both of them. What happens when powerful relationships between women uh, dissolve and are tested? Uh, and I, I see both the Beguiled and Picnic at Hanging Rock as, as being about that and specifically set in a girls' school. So my over, however, uh, for a movie that I like better than this, uh, and it's not necessarily it, – it's related in a way, but it's about the dynamic of a man captured by a woman and what he does to that woman, uh, how they affect each other. So my over is a movie that I've recently fallen in love with called Sunset Boulevard, where William Holden is taken in by uh, uh, Nora Desmond and played by Gloria Swanson, and it's about the dynamic between them. Uh, and if you look at Nora Desmond as a crazy woman, which she kind of is, uh, and think of her, uh, you know, imagine the beguiled as the voices of womankind in general. Like Norma Desmond has all these crazy voices in her head, and what happens to those voices when she takes William Holden under her wing? That's kind of what the beguiled is about. What happens to the dynamics between these women when Colin Farrell's character comes across them? So those are my over and under. I really liked this a lot. Uh, and yeah, let's get into it. So tell me then what what was I missing? Uh, what what was the difference between how sexuality was depicted in the 1971 uh, Beguiled that you guys really liked? Tell me about that. All right. Here's something from the get-go mm-hmm. that is a, is a stunning moment at the very beginning of the movie. Um, both movie, movies begin the same with, uh, with her going through the woods, gathering mushrooms, right? Uh, and she stumbles upon this soldier, right? He stand in the 1971 version, you know, as she's going through trying to find these mushrooms, we don't have any of this like butterfly stuff going on. Um, we see him standing there and he collapses next to her and then all, and then these soldiers are riding by on horses and um, to quiet her. This is Amy. This is the young girl, the one that in this particular movie, in the movie we saw, uh, he says to her, you know, one of the ways that he isolates her as, you know, we'll talk about this later, perhaps as an abuser, you know, the way you like isolate people from those that they know um, is to tell her that he, that she's his best friend in this particular, in Carry on. Sorry. My headphones came off. <laughs> That's right. In the 1971 Beguiled. Um, Jesus. <laughs> she she says uh, that that she's uh, that she's uh, she's scared. She's not that old. She's a she's a little girl. And he says, you're old enough to be kissed. And then Clint Eastwood kisses this little girl in the lips in a very sensual way. Ostensibly to keep her quiet while the soldiers drive through and he kisses her twice. And it's, it's, this sets the tone for how he is going to, uh, individually, um, seduce each one of these women in different ways. Uh, and I think this movie, the movie we saw is far more coy about the way that it does that. Um, 
And I think that the 71 version is far more bold about the way that it does that. Just that one moment, that moment where he's kissing this little girl on the lips in not a, not a paternal way. Uh, it's immediately disturbing. And, and also this, uh, the movie we saw talks about, you know, it, it, it kind of glosses over the idea of rape. Oh, they're, they're going to be raping people. Uh, in the 71 version, they're very clear. Yeah, people are being raped. Women are being raped. You're going to be raped. It's very clear that that's going on. And so those those elements of the movie um, in that early version, while it does feel like a TV version, are far different than the way Sofia Coppola deals with it in this version, which is confusing to me, but also interesting from the point of view of what you're talking about, uh, or what we're both talking about with Picnic and Hanging Rock. Uh, yeah, that's a very different opening to to because th- this movie, I think, I, and I don't know, I haven't seen the original, so I can't say, but it seems to me what this movie is going for is we're not supposed to know, although it becomes clear pretty quickly, uh, how honorable he's being, how how much we should trust him, right. uh, how much he's going to like that. That makes it sound like it's more like a home invasion movie. Like you immediately know if he's going to be making out with a little girl, uh, what what else is he capable of? Is this guy honorable? I mean, that movie makes it clear that no, he's no good. Uh, I think that one of the things I, I appreciate here is that we kind of, in a way, see Colin Farrell's character through the eyes of the other women, in that we want to trust him. Uh, he's a likable, good-looking fella. We we want to maybe give him the benefit of the doubt early on. He's a wounded soldier. He seems suitably ashamed for being a deserter. Uh, at first, when he's complimenting the different women, none of them necessarily – I mean it, it increasingly becomes clear that he's playing them uh, not necessarily against each other, but he's, he's saying different things to different he's, – he's being less than honest with them uh, as he's saying different things to different women. And uh, it, it's, it's clear – it becomes increasingly clear that we can't trust him, that he is a coward and a liar, uh, that he is up to no good. Uh, the, this movie gradually unfolds that. Um, right. And that's one of the things I kind of liked because that's how the women see him. You know, they want to trust him. Uh, they are intrigued by him. There's not, you know, we, the audience, don't know right off the bat that he's dishonorable, and neither do they. Um, There's I also a- would uh, take uh, issue with the whole rape thing, Dingus. Like, like rape during wartime is, of course, something that happens, but Union soldiers were not running around raping women in Virginia. No, but that was used as a way of keeping people in line, of, of saying not not the not the actual rape, but saying, well, if these men show up, that's what they're going to do. Just letting you guys know, so you mean you need to hide, right? Okay, uh, right. I mean, they were they were definitely scared. Okay, uh, that's, when that's, Gone with the Wind it happens, or the threats there. Well, sure, no, Sherman. Sherman isn't Gone with the Wind. Sherman's March, like where he just scorched earth. To uh to the sea, I think Sherman's yeah. was, was atypical, but generally this this was in Virginia. I don't know specifically. I think they said four years into the war, uh, soldiers coming through weren't raping Confederate women. Uh, I, I think a lot of what we hear about contemporary war and ISIS and stuff like that uh, colors maybe what we think of as war. Now I'm I'm sure that it happened, but there was a very diff different veneer of civility to war back in the 19th century than what we think of today with things like like Vietnam, for instance. Uh, right. But but the threat of it was still used, I, I think, 
it, it, you you're probably right about that but just the but just saying if the union soldiers sh- show up here that's going to happen so you ladies keep this place locked up and put a blue rag out if you ever see any right. union soldier sure. or get one because what they're going to do is this whether well, or not about they the were doing this. one or this one both Okay. In the seventy-one one is more frank with the word. I think that in the two thousand seventeen one, they she just glosses over the word and they move on. Well, it seems their fear here, which makes sense to me, is that the soldiers are going to take their chickens and their crops. Uh, right. You know, so the and, and the you know armies living on foraging rather than being provisioned. That that seems to me their greater concern in this movie. Right. Uh, all right, so uh, let let's see. So it um, does. Hold on, yeah. just a second, uh-huh. uh, Kelly. You didn't say anything about the original that you thought. Well, the big difference I was talking about was that the Don Siegel one has a black character in it. Yeah. Oh, good slave. point. Yeah. And that's the big difference. And and in the book, the book's told from the di- from the different women's points of view, and she's a key character, and she's a key character in the Clint Eastwood one in that. Um, she's actually onto his shit, in, and she's the only one who is in the Don oh. Siegel one. And in this, there is no character yeah. like that. And in fact, she's the one who poisons him in the first one. And the reason there are no black characters in the new one, according to an interview of Sophie Coppola, was she said, "Well, I don't want. I have a lot of young fans, and I didn't want them to have to see a slave character." In a movie, she did not say that. She, she did really say said that. She did, yeah. And uh, I, it, so Kelly Wan, I think that's a little unfair. What I, it, it sounds to me like the the gist of what she's saying, and I didn't I didn't read this. She didn't want to make it a movie about slavery. And the moment you put a slave in a movie, it it partially becomes a movie about slavery. Uh, it seemed like also my she young didn't, fans though. But that I, one I don't know what that's a, about. Is a really great character. It's a fascinating character yeah, no, from I the point of view of what he's doing with her. And, and Kelly Wan, I'll, I'll let you continue in just a second. But your your point that the book is from those different points of view. The seventy one movie does uh, voiceovers from their point their different points of view too. So that's interesting that you right. say that. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you guys. Well, no, just he's a major critical. I, I just think it's more nuanced that there is one who's immune to him. And it's the it's the black character. It's the but she's not entirely immune to him. She's the least. She's the most immune to him. No, she gets sucked into beguiled. She gets. I don't remember that. She gets charmed by him too. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, it's just moment because she's the one who shaves him. I mean, that's a that's a pretty cool scene. I mean, she she's the one who shaves him, and they have a great scene together. So he's. Just as adept at charming her as he as as charming the other ones, uh, and she's the okay. she's an interesting and very sexual character who has lost somebody. She doesn't know like the other women where he's gone, where the man she's lost has gone. Um, right, Isn't she's an amazing character. She's a great character, on. and right. I kind of missed. I really missed that in this. I didn't understand it. I just think, and it's strange too that if if you're taking, if you're saying my saying since my young fans, I don't want to show them a slave. I don't. She said I didn't want them to see a woman as a slave in the movie. Like well, I thought what that is, a bummer. What do you, what, that. Tom, did you, when you were saying that? But what were you saying about that? So I don't. Again, I, I you know I haven't seen the original. I 
don't have anything to go on here, but it seemed to me the movie that Sofia Coppola wanted to make, and she's definitely an auteur. It's one of the things I admire about the movies that she makes that I don't even care for, like, like Maria, Marie Antoinette, for instance. So there's some fascinating yeah. stuff in that, but I, I love the fact that, that she is an auteur. Like Sofia Coppola has definitely inherited the sense of unique voice that her father had, uh, and I love that about her. So it seems to me she's taking this movie, whatever was made in 1971 about Frank's sexuality and maybe this home invasion and this guy making out with this underage girl and then threatening these women. It seems like she wants to take this story and make a, a self-contained story about – the dynamic amongst these women and what happens when that falls apart and how they resolve it and introducing a statement about slavery. Uh, I, I don't think she felt that was necessary in this. I actually, I have no idea what she felt, but I don't understand. I don't see how a message about slavery necessarily needed to be in here because what I got in here was a, a message more about uh, women interacting with each other and responding to the presence of a man. Uh, and specifically, I don't know if this is getting too far ahead of ourselves, uh, the Civil War setting. I mean, I, I love the way that this is subtly introduced with sound, with the cannons in the background, with the smoke on the horizon, uh, the, the repeated images of the girl with the, the telescope on the balcony. There's this idea that civilization has fallen away. That the men have left, that the normal places that they would go and the things they would do and the ways they would get food, those are all gone. And it reminded me in a way – this is what uh, apocalypse movies can do yeah, is they good. can look at things. They can look at human dynamics without being fettered by social norms and civilization. It's kind of human dynamics in a purer version, and Dingus and I just saw a fantastic – uh, iteration on this idea called It Comes at Night uh, with Joel Edgerton. Uh, so when you put people in an apocalypse, when you take them out of civilization and you study their response to a new stimulus or a new person or a new dynamic, uh, that, that, that's what this movie is doing, like the same way you would do it in an apocalypse where you can't call the police. You know, you can't, uh, you can't count on civilization to come save you or to inform you or to help you. Uh, so in, in, I don't know, but if a slave had been introduced to this, if there had been some dynamic in this, namely this woman is a slave to these other women that would divorce it from modern day. You know, We don't know what that means today. Slavery is an abomination that fortunately we can't really relate to in our day-to-day -day life. To put a slave into this movie I think would have removed it even further from uh, modern experiences, uh, and I'm uh, guessing – Okay. I sort of agree with you on the on the apocalypse front, but I was just I think it's her exact quote was I didn't want to brush over such an important topic in a light way. So she's you basically agree with her. She said but then she goes, My young young girls watch my films and this was not the depiction of an African American character I would want to show them. Okay. So that's kind of what you're saying. I guess I see what you're saying, but also the fact that it is the Civil War and that it's basically just a, a writing challenge that she fails to try to meet. I don't know. I like you're setting it in some more, and that, I just think it would have been more interesting to explore the fact that it was not just an apocalypse and not just a zombie apocalypse, but it was the Civil War, and they have all these conditions you're talking about, but it's specific but see, to that period. Right. See, I don't think this movie is intending to be specific to the Civil War. I think this movie is intending to be specific to the dynamics between women. Uh, and uh, once you put in a slave, again, that's that's unique to the Civil War, Kelly Wand. Yeah, sure. that is true. I agree. Uh, I think that the, I think that character is really great 
in the earlier movie, but I understand I understand the distinction you're making, Tom, and I actually really love from just an idea perspective of the idea of the civil war as this civil war thing being like the survivalist or Z for Zachariah for these characters. They don't know that there's they 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 don't they don't have our perspective that that civilization is going to continue. For all they know, civilization is ending right now. And I really kind of – I like your take on that. I really like your take on that. They, they don't have husbands. They don't have colleagues. They don't have new students coming in. Uh, they, they don't have a society around them. So what do they do when these women who have been denied sexuality, what do they do when sexuality appears before them and manifests itself for right. each of them? And what right. does it do with their relationship to each other? And one of the things I, I – is uh, is I have a, is this movie – uh, feminist is such a loaded term, term uh, but I don't want to be, say something glib like pro-women. But let me put it – is this movie misogynist or feminist? Is it one or the other? Is, is that even a question worth asking about this movie? It's definitely not misogynist. Okay. Um, whether it's I misandry. I don't think it's, it's pro-women in any way that, that Reservoir Dogs is pro-man. I mean it's – these women who are caught in this situation, and it's about them. And, and I guess I just don't see it in those terms. Uh, well, I do think one of the uh, I think one of the responses. This might have just been some dumb IMDb response, or maybe it was something I read on the forum. Uh, one of the responses I've seen to this is, "Oh, these women are all dishonorable, and they fall for Colin Farrell, and that makes it misogynist. All these women are terrible characters," which I I, I don't agree. I mean, that's a I silly take. That. On it. Yeah, I, I do too. But I, I do think that ultimately the message that Sofia Coppola is making with this movie is uh, you know, ladies stick together. Don't fall for these jerks. You're better than that. Uh, you know, trust each other. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a strongly feminist movie. Okay, I guess I won that one. Nope. Yeah, you won that one, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I guess if there's one man, I mean, if you're going to to Southern uh, Bells. just pull out your idea about this being a post-apocalyptic drama as far as that's concerned, if there's one man left in the world, they're going to have to fight over him. Or they're going to have to share him. They're going to figure out which way to do that. Right, and but so they, it's right, not really a pro-feminist movie if they rip each other apart and then destroy him. But they find out that he is a jerk, that he is betraying them, that right. he is a liar and a cheat, right. and they unite against him. Well, he's That's an thing, abuser. It's not a, I mean, he's a classic yeah. abuser. He walls them off. He he uh, he tells each one a different right. thing that is special about right. them, and uh, he, and he isolates them from each other, and then he tries to take over the house. And they prevail uh, against him, though, which I think and, is – And they prevail against him. Great. That, that, I presume, is how the, the Clint Eastwood one ends, right? Like, there, were there any significant changes in the ending in the Clint Eastwood one? Uh, there are significant ways in, the, in how it plays out, but, uh, but by and large, no. Okay. He's also – I should – I mean, when I was considering Tom's question, like, it's – as far as, like, feminism, like, it's not really a fair question in this case because the, da- the deck sort of yeah. set because he is kind of a dick. Like, he's not our best specimen while is there <laughs> – none of them are too insane. Like, you go, I can see where they're coming from. But he's but also it, well, an idiot because if he was tactically smart, he would have just seduced the Nicole Kidman. Right. 
So fucking Al Fanning was the bridge too far. Like he's stupid. Like that's well, the real the thing, thing is like he, right, he well, was setting up an un- say real quick that Chris Webb is going to be really surprised that Kelly Wan is the first one to slag on Al Fanning because from Chris Webb's he said he can't wait for Tom to shout on Al Fanning for no reason. He just he and doesn't do understand what? why. What'd you say? He can't wait for me to do what to El Fanning? To shit on El Fanning whoa, 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 for no whoa, whoa. reason. No, there's clearly there's the talented Fanning and the good looking Fanning. Everybody knows that this was the good looking. <laughs> and I'm not right. saying I'm not saying the other one isn't talented or good looking. They're both talented and good looking, but one of them clearly has a, a greater reserve of the other than you know what I'm saying. Yeah, she doesn't understand it, I mean, why you just started laying in on her at some point, which does seem weird. I mean, at some point you just started like, and there's one of them, and then there's the other one of them. Why is why is saying that someone is good looking laying in on them? No, no, you. No, you're saying you, you, you've, you've made very look. clear that <laughs> this one is more talented than the other one. This I is the more say, talented sister. It's like Serena versus William. Well, and as Kelly Wan pointed out, another message of this movie is it's never a good idea to choose Elle Fanning. Right. That's well, and also always, that's a, always the wrong choice. I see why he does it, but he look. I mean, it's not worth it. And it's like if he's roba- if he's putting all of his eggs in the Kirsten Dunst basket, right, it right. just seems. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Basket. Oh my myself, I mean, since he's the only guy in the character, I have to. I have. I have to find myself identifying with him. And so I'm thinking, oh no, this is like that part of the Strangers where they have the shotgun, the Liv Tyler one. And then they have like a really good position on the strangers, but then for some reason they leave it. So that's like he has Paul Kidman in the bag. I don't know. Should have had a black chick. Anyway, to be <laughs> to be fair, uh, Chris Markinson says the El Fanning part didn't seem very fleshed out. He's wondering if some deleted scenes, which might have led up to her sneaking into the room to kiss him at night. Thought it well, was just. I, I will say her, her character in a nutshell, I mean, and actually her approach to this performance was very much the way she was hoeing that garden. <laughs> like that right there. Yeah. That's Elle Fanning in a nutshell yeah. for me. Well, uh, but I mean, she's the, supposed to be that kind of character, though. Right, and, right, and, right. And, you know, too, like to her. I mean, so we don't even know. She may be the best actress ever, Tom. No, no, no. Just no. playing Elle Fanning characters. No, I've, I've seen her in other stuff. I know. <laughs> Really? Well, she's good in this role, like, because she's barely in this movie. Like, Kirsten Dunst is the one who. I'm never saying I'm not saying she's bad. She's fantastic in that bit in Super Eight where you have to. She has to demonstrate that hey, I'm a good actress. I'm doing your dopey monologue, and look, I'm good anyway. She's great doing that. She's a great actress, but she's the good-looking one. Dakota Fanning is the talented one. Well, to be fair to you, I was I was kind of set up not to really like her in this. Because a couple of days earlier, and I'm sorry to say this, Chris Webb, uh, I had seen 20th Century Women, and she's in that, and I just couldn't stand her in it. Um, she just just looked constantly like a person who has been crying all the time, and she just looks stricken all the time. Um, so getting to her in this, I was just like, oh god, I have to watch her again in the movie. And I know Chris Webb loves uh, 20th Century Women. But watching her in that and then having to watch her in this, it was a little bit arduous. But she was fine in this. I mean, she definitely fit her role. I, I, one of the things I really liked in this is how each of the girls felt distinct. Like at first I, I was watching. Them oh, and wow. Like, oh, God, yeah. how am I going to be able to keep these girls straight? Uh, but, it, it, you know, obviously 
there, there's the girl Jane who thinks he's an enemy. There's cute little Amy, the little girl who's gathering the, the mushrooms. There's the one who yeah. Kelly Wan calls the fat one, uh, which I think her name was Marie. Uh, but I, I thought the movie gave, and there were only is it six of them. Uh, but by the time the movie was over, because there was that final shot, by the way, of Nicole Kidman presiding over the table, you know, <laughs> basically Colin Farrell's POV as he's dying. Oh, my God. I loved that shot. That was just beautiful. Um, and, yeah, so I, I knew who each of those, those girls was by then. I, re- uh, I was I, just distracted by how goofy they, him immediately dying from mushrooms was. It is it? Dingus, that's, what, that's how it really happens, Dinkus. Yeah. It's really well, do. having seen the survivalist. Yeah, but she didn't die of the mushrooms in the survivalist. She was just worried about it. So she Those pre-died. She pre-died in a different way. <laughs> but no, I, I am with Dingus. It would have been uh, – I, I, I kind of would I, – I just because where the movie had come to and knowing what Edwina was going to go through, I would yeah. not have minded if this had been a gruesome, drawn-out, actual poisoning death. But it's Thank this, you. It's Gee. this thing like happens – White you know, It's No, it's not whitewashing, Kelly Wan. It's getting to the point. It's, you know, Shakespeare wrote King Lear. When King Lear <laughs> dies, all Shakespeare writes is he dies. I think he says like he dies of a broken heart. <laughs> It, it, it's you, you have points in a drama where it doesn't matter how the character dies. Mm-hmm. It's important that they die. Let's move past it. And poison you know, that's, is that's a, a lot of times a convenient way to do it. That's actually a really good point, Tom, because uh, <laughs> the point in Venom, I mean, he, you know, they get nicked by a blade and immediately die or Claudius drinks and immediately dies. So you're right. So, Kelly Wanda, are you saying no. Shakespeare is a bad writer? I'm saying if you wanted someone to die quickly, don't use mushrooms. Like, because if they're uh, well, so, let's no. kill by poison. Kelly, Wand, Kelly Wand, you should know better than that. Uh, him dying by mushrooms was very much a creative decision. The same way that that uh, uh, Amy was out picking mushrooms on the ground, and I think also it's important that Colin Farrell is lying on the ground. He doesn't collapse. He's lying there like a mushroom. He's just right. a helpless, inert thing. That she picks up and brings home. Uh, that that same thing has to be what kills him. Uh, it's I not agree with that. If this had been a, a home invasion procedural, yeah, wait till he falls asleep, get the gun, shoot him in the head. Over. We're done. We're out. Fine. I was hoping he would get more limbs removed gradually over the course of the movie. <laughs> yeah, like scream and scream again. Did they Did they have a funeral for his leg? Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure that's what I was seeing. That was kind of adorable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was what was happening. And it's dealt with in a jolly way almost in the 1971 version. It's like, what are we doing? We're going to bury the leg. I mean, it was, it's a weird, it's a weird <laughs> thing. Yeah. Um, let's see. All right. So why uh, – All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I had a question. That, that great shot of Nicole Kidman – and the little girl's around her. Edwina's off to the side. And I want to talk about uh, Kirsten Dunst. My new favorite thing, because, you know, I, I love fat Russell Crowe. I equally now love uh, frumpy Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> I am so loving my, some frumpy Dunst. Like, that's something I'm definitely into these days. Uh, I would not call her frumpy. That's a terrible oh, word. 
you don't mean it bad any more than Russell Russell Crowe being fat is bad. Okay, I mean, fair enough. Good. As long as you don't mean it bad, that's fine with me. I seriously love Russell Crowe being fat, and I seriously love them. I mean, Kristen Dunst is a beautiful woman, and I love them making her look frumpy. It's it's adorable. It's cute. That it's you know she's not trying to look like a glamorous young actress, and I I admire that. And it's so great for this part. Kelly's little bit during the the synopsis, uh, she was just such an endearing likable character she looked like she'd been beaten down like she had just learned to give up at an early age so it was right. so sad seeing him reignite in her this kind of vain hope that maybe she shouldn't have given up yeah. and she somebody- stands by him to the end that's what i love too is that this didn't become a girl power movie where they all kick his ass you know one of them like what I don't think she was running interference. I don't think she was necessarily protecting the other girls, trying to calm him down. I think she was kind of being self-serving at that point. Um, I think she genuinely went the furthest. She chooses him. She does. She chooses him, and she thinks that she can maybe leave with him at that point. Uh, So my question was going to be, shouldn't the movie have ended with that great shot of Nicole Kidman? Because at that shot, I was like, oh, this is a great shot. Go ahead and go to the credits. I love this. But nope, we get them putting the body out and then the, the final shot. And I kind of feel it's important that we see that final shot where they've essentially taken the trash out. Because that's what they do with his body. They close it outside of the gate, and then we see them from outside the gate. You know, they're removed from the world. They are in their own space, but they're back together. Every single one of those girls is sitting out there on the porch, and they've taken the trash out, and they've gotten past this and remained together. So if and we Kirsten's just in- there, too. Exactly. She's there, too. If we just ended with a shot of of Nicole Kidman, where Kirsten Frumpy Dunst is off to the side of the frame, that we wouldn't have gotten that uh, that resolution there, which I think is important to the story. Although, what's she going to do, really? Where's she going to go? If she's not, she's still upset about it. She's we just to need to know that she's, that she's literally willing to stand with the other girls at that point. But I think. Fine. But okay, next great. time, <laughs> mine. The great thing about the 71 is that as he's eating the mushrooms, he says, he reveals, I'm going to leave tomorrow. Um, I just wanted you all to know that I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow. And, uh, and you know, um, she's coming with me. Oh, she's, I forgot about she, that. She has, uh, she asked me to marry her, mar- marry me. And I said, yes. And so they're saving her. Dumb. And she dumb actually has poop. a mushroom in her mouth at that point and then spits it out. <laughs> oh, so the girls don't stop her. They're going to let her die. Oh. No, no. No. Uh, um, Geraldine Page, I think, is the, uh, the main, uh, tells her, uh, you don't, don't, you should not eat that. And then everybody realizes, dun, dun, dun. But he's, he's eaten the mushrooms and he's, he said, oh, well, I was going to leave anyway, and I'm leaving with her. <laughs> so it was unnecessary to kill him in the 71 version. <laughs> Boo. Dumb. Thanks, Don Boo. Siegel. Dumb. Sad. <laughs> no, they still got to save her from the marriage. Um, did you guys think anything was funny in this movie? Oh, yeah, you know, I loved it. It's just, you know, their, their little performance night. That was yeah, freaking hilarious. The dinners were hilarious. I mean, yeah. Sofia Coppola has such a... I guess light touch is a, isn't really a good way to put it, but I think Sofia Coppola knows to make wind and how to make things airy. Uh, and, and yeah, so I thought parts of this were absolutely hilarious. 
because uh, you, you must hilarious the whole yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> you agree, right? Like you thought this stuff was pretty funny, right? Oh, well, I'm asking specifically because Markinson really liked some of the funny stuff, and he has a lot to say about the movie as far as who he saw it in a theater with, which, uh, in his experience, was a lot of women. Um, and oh. uh, when they start to discuss the poison mushrooms, uh, the ladies that were all around him just started laughing. Um, uh, yeah, before, I did too, and they were German women. They it made them, he said it made them they start to women. laugh. And uh, bring me the anatomy book. Also made. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, I loved that. Her in that bloody nightgowns. Yeah, Nicole Kidman just saying, "Bring me the anatomy book." That that was awesome. Boy, no. in the seventy-one version, that is much more gruesome and much more what I wanted here. But really, uh, and I usually I don't want that from movies. Yeah, she's actually looking at the book, and and there's a lot of sawing going on in the seventy-one version. In this one, it's just cut away to. Uh, gauzy, we're burying yeah. something over there. Whitewash, whitewash. <laughs> More whitewash. Um, but, whitewash. Uh, but Chris Markinson also says, um, did you see this with a lot of women in the theater? Was there any reaction when Farrell says, I love Edwina? I think every woman in the theater at my showing started to laugh. And it was one of those, yeah, right, laughs, which was awesome. Mm. So. Sassy Canadian women audience there. Yeah, they they love that moment. Now it, I saw this with with a, with one couple uh, sitting in the very back of the theater, uh, and then as it was running, another couple came in and sat in front of me. So this was pretty much an empty movie when I saw it. My theater had a had plenty of people in it, and um, <laughs> when the title credit at the end showed up, directed by Sofia Coppola, one woman in the back went, "What?" Really? And I don't know if she was going, what? Because that's like, that's really the end of your movie? Or that was directed by Sophia Coppola? I think it was probably. I think it was, the, that's the, the end form. of your movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the end of your movie because she really loudly said, what? It's quick. It's yeah. really a, it's a, it's a very, that's something I really liked about it. Is it's a really short movie. You know, Kelly, it, it would have yeah. been much longer if we'd had a slave character. Yeah, well, so was the war. Um, but I saw it with a lady who was really excited because she um, had she goes Colin Farrell's naked in this and I'm all oh you should see a sex tape it's really good sung like a yak and then while we were watching it I was she was really quiet and I think she was really engrossed in it but I was cackling like the whole time like I was laughing like a madman and then when she said the anatomy book line all the German women went, oh, like they were kind of shocked by it. Like, that's going too far. Oh, fix the leg. He's still cute. <laughs> so I think it's what did Alexandra think of this? What was her overall? Yeah. Take? Was she into it? Uh, it grew in her. Um, she liked it. Um, there were it's things that boring. she said. Nice. No, it's not boring at all. No. Uh, but uh, she liked to play, yeah. Um, she definitely, uh, as we watched the 1971 Beguiled afterward, we both felt stronger about it. And some of the things that I was talking about as far as female sexuality is concerned, uh, are ideas that she was putting forth because it seems that the 1971 version seems much more comfortable with, uh, with laying those out as far as being this version being shy about them. And that doesn't make sense to either one of us. Yeah, 1971, though, I mean, it's 
When was when was uh, that movie An Unmarried Woman? Jill Clayburgh thing. That would have been around. That then, was right? seventy nine. That's way after. That was but the it was, generation seventies. Right, not. but it was all like uh, weren't weren't there. Well, okay, fair enough. But it, but it just seemed like uh, the way women's sexuality was portrayed on screen was very very different back then. There were no yeah. women directors. There were no women writers. Like this is just dudes making up stuff about women, pretty pretty much. Well, in the seventy one version, it doesn't necessarily feel like specifically women's sexuality per se to me. It just feels like characters being sexual, and it feels like they're allowed to be sexual in that version. They're allowed to, uh, you know, they're allowed to make out uh, in this ver- in this version. Yeah, they're not. that would that would have definitely taken me out of the movie uh in because i i watched uh picnic at hanging rock after seeing this in picnic at hanging rock there's a great point where and because that's 1900 so that's that's a good 35 years after this movie uh in australia and they're even coarser over there uh in picnic at hanging rock when the girls are going on the picnic the woman tells them okay because they have to wear, and I love the visuals of the first part of that movie with those girls all in white going out into the yeah. woods. There, uh, the woman, the the headmistress tells them, "Okay, girls, I know it's going to be hot, so once you've gone through town, only after you've gone through town, you can take your gloves off." <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I, you know, like sexuality back then, like that, if clean, like I don't know, just the fact that. When when even when Alicia comes in and kisses him on the lips, I was like, "Whoa, really? Okay." Not corporal. She's she's a tart. Check Hell out that yeah. saucy one. <laughs> Where did she learn that? Right. Oh my! I declare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think she's been broken in. But well, it makes a ton more sense in the other version. It just makes more sense. Well, and, and when he takes uh, uh, Christian Dunn's hand, just like the the forwardness of that action, like Sofia Coppola can so like it, it. Those little things are so keenly observed, I think, and they're they're such mm-hmm. important, small, but 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 all the more important things. You know, when he actually takes her hand and how she responds to that. Uh, yeah, I would have felt really weird if there'd been like actual kissing and and stuff. Uh, well, you're. You're definitely right about that. I mean, this movie is a far more subtle movie sexually than the 1971 version. I mean, you actually see like a shot over uh, a woman's naked butt. Whoa, 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 whoa! Dink, slow your roll. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and you actually have. I mean, you have many more. There's many. There's much more kissing going on. So this movie is is far more subtle and. Uh, I don't know, prim and proper yeah. as far as sexuality is Young concerned. Watch my films, and, girls. And, uh, and it's interesting to me that that appeals to you in this particular case, Tom, because um, it makes me think of the way Sofia Coppola has dealt with sexuality in her other movies. Sure. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, this is also a historical setting. I mean, even though it's not about the Civil War, it's very much about a different time. Um, but you know, there's plenty of promiscuity and virgin suicides. I right. yeah. titled. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Very well done. Yeah. By the way, Tom uh, Clint Eastwood. After yeah. the movie, this the, the '71 movie was kind of a flop, and so Clint Eastwood kind of disowned it afterwards and went, "Yeah, I'm not used to playing losers." So that's <laughs> Jesus. If, if I, I'm going to mock Sofia Coppola, this is one of say, his Young best Cole? performances. What an ass. Beguiled is. Yeah. 
Ew. I just I can't imagine women being a titter over Clint Eastwood. That makes no sense to me. That would also take me out of the movie. He's the only game in town. Yeah. Okay, fair enough, I guess so. And he understands how to play each one of them in a different way. Yeah, which he apparently is in real life. He's a serial relation. Like he it's what he does like he's good at it because he's what he, he's not acting in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a, I mean, this guy is a, is, a, is an abuser, or uh, I mean, he, he understands how to play each one of them in a different way, even the younger girls and the little girls. He understands each one of them, uh, the and I don't like the way that this particular the 2017 is is edited in that way because I don't think enough is given to all of the all of the women in it. And I, I, I am interested that Tom says um, that he thinks that. All of these characters are clearly delineated because for me they weren't, but I'm glad that they were for him. Well, there's only like six of them. Like, go quiz yeah. me. I can tell you. Uh, I, there's one of them whose name I don't remember. But yeah, like it's not there. There's not that many of them. Stinky. And I didn't. I didn't. Stinky. Uh, I didn't recognize. And I, I love this. Uh, I didn't recognize any of the actresses other than uh, the the pretty Fanning. Uh, oh, you know what? We've seen one of them. I've looked this up. Uh, speaking of fat Russell Crowe, one of the girls in here was uh, Ryan Gosling's daughter in The Nice Guys. That's where I'd seen one of them before. Uh, oh, yeah. Because remember, she's super precocious in that. Is his daughter taking care of him? Uh, she ruined that movie. Um, the movie oh. had other problems, but yeah, okay. It, you know, oh. it's fat Russell Crowe, Kelly Wand. How can you ruin a movie with fat Russell Crowe? And since, you bring up, since you bring up fat Russell Crowe, I, I do have to – and you and you also asked about what Alexandra thought about this. Uh-huh. Yeah. She really did like the filled out version of um, Kirsten Dunst. I almost said Claire Danes uh, of Kirsten. Thing is, you can adopt my term "frumpy Dunst" if you frumpy. like. No, I don't Frumps. think frumpy is right. I think frumpy <laughs> is a, is a version that would be used for an old queen, not an old queen of England sitting on the throne. That's frumpy. This, she's not frumpy. Like she's Helena Bonham out. Carter in, in the Alice in Wonderland movies? Is she frumpy? I don't, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Wait, that's your choice? No, I, there, there, was a preview for, there was a preview for a movie with uh, uh, Judy Dench playing a queen who uh, falls in love or just uh, becomes friends with uh, some dude from India. Um, oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she calls herself fat, and that's more what I think of, like the the old queen of England, frumpy. I don't think of I don't think frumpy works as a as an adjective to describe what she looks like in this. I think she's just filled out. She's the she's oldest a, one, except for she's a little bit older. She's allowed her face to fill out a little bit more. Um, and it's a really a pleasure to see her look like this. Uh, and not not appear to be worried about it. So uh, you did see she's the also first. Still very uh, attractive. She is. You did see the first season, of, the first season of or second season of Fargo, right, Dingus? Uh, no. <gasps> oh, she's so good in that. That's the best frumpy dunst right there. Like Stop that's where frumpy. I don't. I don't agree with that word. Uh, it just. Gonna, it just. I'm going to contend with you every time. <laughs> He's saying compared to her early to compare to bring it on where she's not frumpy. Compared yeah, to earlier, funnier works, frumpy is not. Yeah. No, that's not what frumpy. Why do you hate the word frumpy? It's no worse than calling Russell Crowe fat, and it's done frumpy is a grandmother. Is a grandmother sitting sitting around I, reading and if, hey, bring it, me some tea. That's I think you frumpy. can be frumpy when you're in your forties, right? They're not glamorous. No, no. You can be frumpy in your forties. I may be misunderstanding what frumpy means. Then I thought a forty-year-old who's filled out could be called frumpy. I don't know. 
No. Maybe I'll get creative with it. It just sounds good. Thing is, say say the words "frumpy dunst." It's fun. And I'm not going to say it. it it's, it's fun it's to your mouth. Perfectly nice to say it. It's fun to your mouth. Is that but how you're going to? She's playing her age, this? and that's and Tom's calling that frumpy. <laughs> she's basically I playing a woman of her actual age. I don't. Like, nah, frumpy. That's frumpy. That's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> that's grandmothers are frumpy. Stop it. Uh, did you? Grandmother, this. Did either of you see uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock since we've seen Animal Kingdom? Um, hmm. Yeah, I think so. Because you know Jackie, so Jackie Weaver is in Picnic yeah. at Hanging Rock because she's oh. like third build in the in the credits, and I'm like, okay, which one of these little minxes is Jackie Weaver? As I'm watching it, and I can't quite figure it out. Okay, which one of the girls? No, it's not her. Could it be that one? Can't quite tell. Is it that one? And through the first, you know, all the, the, the eponymous picnic, I couldn't quite figure out which one was Jackie Weaver. Boy, once she comes on screen, it could not be more clear. It is so awesome. <laughs> the appearance of Jackie Weaver when you're like, oh, right, of course, because she plays like the sort of hottie serving wench who's working back at the school. Uh, and in her first scene, she's just finished having sex with one of the groundskeepers. But uh, she's like the Lena Headey character in Remains of the Day. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Right. So the Jackie Weaver in Picnic at Hanging Rock was a lot of fun. She's not in that many scenes, but uh, it was really funny thinking she was going to be one of the schoolgirls. And then, oh, no, there she is. She's the barista. Uh, Works at Starbucks? What? (laughs) Oh. Remember the guys in that movie with watching them jump over the river and stuff? Those guys are so weird. Those I know. So freaking weird. I was so jealous of them and so creeped out by them at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're so like, they're like so, they have such creepy looks on their faces, and I, I did too. <laughs> so throughout the movie too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd forgotten too how much of the movie was about uh, the aftermath. Like how much is yeah. what happened in the town afterwards? Like I thought there was yeah. going to be some weird trippy dream sequence thing, and there was some of that, but it moves past that and then goes well past that and it kind of loses interest in that part of the movie and it's like, hey, here's what happens to the people that that stayed behind. Um, I think that's based on a book and at the end of the book, it's just like, yeah, they go to a different universe. So, yeah, no, it's based on a book. It's it's not true, but the book was written kind of in this Fargo-like, hey, these are real events, kind of, nudge, nudge. Uh, And, uh, you know, none. it's all entirely fictitious. But, yeah, you're right, Kelly Wan. The writer, she wrote this book, and at the end, they find a portal, and they go into another dimension. And her her editor was like, um, what if we just cut that and leave it ambiguous? (laughs) Lose the uh, the land of the lost. Right. And so that's how it was published, and then it was later published with that chapter intact. Let's focus on this picnic stuff. That's the good stuff you did. Well, I think the editor had the great this great idea, and it's it's a it's a seminal work of horror for how it acknowledges that what's amazing, you know, what what can really drive horror is what you don't know is leaving right, things right. unresolved. Uh, and and that, the movie, yeah, yeah, the movie, the and movie the book, too. Yeah. Right, right, but the movie has the advantage of those actual rocks that look so fucking. Oh, weird. they really do. They really do. Yeah. 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 Australia, man, is just freaky. And and Peter Weir's putting in the <clears throat> Australia movie does this. It Peter is. Weir's in like second unit footage of weird Australian creatures. You know, that's what you do in yeah. freaky movies set in Australia like this, long weekend. Uh, oh, so I was gonna. There's a movie called Fortress. Do you know this, Kelly Wan, with Rachel Ward? It's kind of awesome. Yeah. It's an Australian writer I really like named Everett DeRoche, who I've talked about before. He's known for uh, Razorback, 
which is Jaws with a giant pig. Is Christopher uh, Lambert in it? E- oh, no, no. Good Lord. Kelly Wand. Wow. All right, I get those two big stuff. The Stuart Gordon one, where Christopher Lambert goes to stomach prison. They put him in prison with a thing in his stomach that if he that it gives him a stomach ache if he goes out of bounds and he has to escape from prison. That's dumb. But it's also called Fortress. You're right. Wow, which one's uh, the one with the dude with who has to wear a collar and if he goes too that, far? Out? Oh, Amy Rogers and Rutger Hauer. What's that one called, Kelly? Rutger Hauer. Oh, okay. Out of bounds. Deadlock. Deadlock. Deadlock headlock. Or something Deadlock. like that. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. You know, the, the real fortress, the Everett DeRoche one, it's an Australian movie from the 80s with Rachel Ward. Maybe the, it must be the 90s, where she's a school mom and she's teaching a school of Australian children. And I forget the reason why it happens, but a bunch of criminals bust in and take them all prisoner, hostage, and kidnap them and carry them off to a cave. I and did that with her. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one Oh, Kelly Wan, this is Rachel Ward we're talking about. Why would I know. Talk some more about it. What's the one What's Against All Odds? Isn't that Rachel Ward? Yeah. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, also. I like her long. Yeah, well, she's, I think she's like this funky, short haired school marm in Fortress, so maybe that's not for you. Uh, uh, I'd do her now. Kelly Wan. <sighs> I do Bardot now. I do the Queen oh, Elizabeth. Oh, Bardot. That's right, right. Really? That's an 80 year old Bardot? Totally. Before we move on to three by three, I just want to say that both Chris's, Chris Webb and Chris Markinson, agree with Tom and Gelly that they really like this movie. It I pro- like it. Like I said, I liked it too. I think it's funny as shit. <laughs> it probably helps to just not see the other one so you don't know anything about the source material, maybe. Yeah, because that's the thing. I, I broke up with it when I was told. The the Sophie Coppola thing, and I couldn't get past. Like, young girls watch my movies. What? I just was like, why are you breaking that? Why is that? Why is that driving you crazy? <laughs> just because it, it it was like, wait, yes, yeah, she, she was. Because then I started thinking about the movie, and I'm like, wait, yeah, she was always pulling back from stuff, and I'm like, that's why. And then it started, it like started tainting my memories of how well, much I be, was laughing during it. You'll be glad to know, Kelly Wand, because the Big Isle is rated R, no young girl, no girls 16 or under will be seeing this. That's right? the thing. She doesn't want to show a slave, so she <laughs> takes that and goes, okay, I'm not going to show you a slave. I'm going to make the young preteen a murderer. Because <laughs> I want that young girl. So, Dingus, why did this get an R? What was the disc- the MPAA? The only thing was some sexuality, which doesn't make any sense to me because there's that Jeez. early wound management stuff. Young girls watch my R-rated Civil War movies. Um, I, I do not understand why this had. Normally, I'm way pro R rating. I do not understand the R rating here. I don't either. I was I, looking forward to some dicks. <laughs> Jeez. Another it's double three by three moment. I don't know if you saw a sex tape. He's really, really. Uh, never mind. Go on. What? Yeah, I just don't understand why this had an R because it's just it's like you get a little bit of a L fanning thigh. You, get, you don't get. You got yeah. way more El Fanning Thigh and Neon Demon. Well, that it's is barely hard. anything, especially when you look at the '71, where, where yeah. they're actually going at it. Ew. Yeah. Huh. Speaking of going at it, Dingus, what's this week's three by three? That's an excellent segue, Tom. <laughs> Thank you so All right. much. This is your three best waking up. Oh. <laughs> I really oh. quick want to do a public service announcement to all filmmakers out there. If you're making a movie and you've cast a Brit to be an American, that's fine. I'm okay with that. But if this Brit 
does a take and says the word anything incorrectly, reshoot that scene because Americans don't talk like this. Here's a line that Lily James says in the utterly wretched movie Baby Driver. She says to Anselm Elgenborg, you can, you can tell me anything. That's what she says. I don't know what it is about Brits having a hard time with the word anything, but a lot of times I'll see a movie and some putative American says anything. It's not anything. It's anything. So Edgar Wright, clean up your movie. Did he say wanker too? She didn't get that in, but they're, speaking of wanker, uh, Anselm Elkbort is in Baby Driver. Did you know that, Kelly Wand? No, is she the baby? <laughs> God, this guy. God, this guy. This freaking guy. Oh, God. Southerners go anything. Like, Y'all go anything to eat. Well, you, no, a, you just said two different things. Southerners say anything. Anything. Kelly Wong, can I, I get you anything? But here's how Brit can says. I help you? Oh, anything. here we go. Anything. Anything. It's like a, it's like a city in Scotland. In anything Scotland. Y'all be back now, you hear. <laughs> Good, that was Australian, Southern Australia. It's like Nobody when, puts baby in a corner. It's like Windmill, Arkansas. I Wind- don't know nothing about birthing babies. What you deal with windmills? How's spell? That's how you say it. Anyway, this week's. Oh no, yeah, right. waking up. I'm announcing next week's three by three. I can't wait. By the way, I think I might actually have a good. Well, we'll find out. But I love my, this topic. my number. Well, this topic is great because yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, we'll we'll save things. But there are just so many awesome things yeah. for this because it's this whole idea from it, it's a transitional state. It's a great way to play someone into a movie or to mean something. So. Uh, waking up is an important part of filmmaking. If you see a character wake up, it's generally for a reason. And I want to, for my number three pick, let me make sure I ordered these correctly and didn't screw up. Yes, okay. For my number three pick, and Dingus, by the way, I think you're in so much trouble. For my number three pick, <laughs> waking up, uh, this is in American Werewolf in London. Ah, it's my number three too, you fucker. <laughs> but here's the great thing about it. It's, it's after when he wakes up after that awesome Muppet Show slaughter scene. He wakes up. He's had a nightmare. His family's watching the Muppet Show. There's this just crazy, just batshit violent scene where Nazi monsters bust into his house and kill his parents and make him watch his little brother and sister get murdered while holding a knife at his throat. And they set the house on fire and they slit his throat and he wakes up in the bed and he's had a bad dream. And this nurse who he's fallen in love with, who's taking care of him, Ginia Gutter, she's sitting there right next to him. And he says, oh, I had a bad dream. And she's like, "Okay, it's all right. I have just a thing. And she's going to open the curtains to let the sun in. And she opens the curtain and one of the monsters comes out and stabs her to death. And it's super gruesome. And it just repeatedly stabs her on the ground. And it's John Landis breaking the rules, Mm -hmm. saying that when you wake up, you're awake. He's breaking the rules. We don't know if when he's woken up, if he's really awake. And it's this great – because that's a contract that filmmakers have with viewers. Uh. When you see somebody wake up, you know they're awake. You're not (laughs) cheating. John Landis cheated, and it's great how it subverted this idea of waking up and how it rewrote the rules for watching this character in American Werewolf in London no, going so mad, going insane. Uh, it didn't just do that, Tom. Yes. As far as I'm concerned, he re- he reinvented werewolf lore, and that's oh. part of becoming a werewolf is you, you have nightmares. You don't know when you're awake or when you're asleep, so it kind of goes with when you don't remember when you were being a wolf. It's like exactly. all his dreams after that, yeah. 
that's what I wondered what rewatching this because man, I love this movie. That Piccadilly Circus bit at the end is freaking off the chain. I just yeah. I oh my god, it's insane that he does that. It's like something out of 1941, the Steven Spielberg movie or something that but violent, but super R-rated. Yeah. Um so I wondered like does werewolf lore before this, because I don't know any earlier werewolf movies before they get black and white and they have the time-lapse photography with gluing hair on someone's face. Like, were werewolves going crazy? Like, was that part of getting yeah. bitten and turning into No, werewolves? invisible people I'm were. so glad you well, asked this, because I wanted Kelly wanted to flesh out what he was talking about. Oh, um, I don't think they were. I'm trying to think. Werewolves were sort of underrepresented in, in monster movies. Like, it was all vampires, and that's why American Werewolf was so groundbreaking is it was the first movie where werewolves were really fascinating. And that was what made that interesting. It was like, it, and Tom left out, the part is like, after that happens... Oh, he wakes up again. Comes, he wakes up again, and she comes in the room, and he says exactly the same thing. He goes, right. I just had a horrible dream. And then right. she goes over and opens the curtains again, and then nothing happens. Right, right, so right. So he's right. also precognitive. Pre- <laughs> and the fact that the character... Wait, I'm confused. Is it dream within a dream? I'm confused. Yes. Yeah, it's dream it within is. a dream predicting what's going to happen when he's awake. So it's right. basically him losing track of time, whether he's awake, whether he's asleep, and what happens in either instance of being awake and asleep. You yeah. can also see ghosts because his friend comes back and hassles him and tells him to kill himself. That's well, another there's, thing. There's a reverse shot, too, when he's in that porn theater Piccadilly Circus where he's sitting alone. Like, And yeah. I don't know if this has been established before, but they are not there. Like That is in his head. That is not – and, of course, we – like Griffin Dunn spells out these rules about when you get killed by a werewolf, you walk the the earth forever as the undead until the bloodline ends. But then when there's that reverse shot of him in the porn theater sitting alone, I think I don't know if it's been established early in the movie that no one is there. That like that's all in his no, head. He's, no, 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 no. I totally disagree. I think wait, it, Griffin Dunn is there and he's decomposing as his body decomposes in real life. Oh no, and, no, no. Because and, go ahead. Sorry. Well, wait. When are you saying he's not there? The so theater. when he goes to the final appearance at the, the porn theater, and by the way, I love that porn movie. I watched this part again tonight. Do you remember? Uh, <laughs> Can we isolate that and make it a drop? Uh, John Landis shot like he did. He didn't just use footage of a porn movie on the screen because he, he wanders in this porn theater just to get in and from outdoors. And he's sitting in there and there's a porn movie playing on the screen. And at a certain point, John Landis lets us watch part of the movie. And it's a dude and a chick having sex very 70s style on a bed and a big burly mustached muscly dude bursts into the wind the room and he says to he says to this couple having sex he's like i told you never do that again and the guy who's having sex says what are you talking about you've never told me that <laughs> and, then, and then he says no you silly twit i'm talking to her and they're, they're having this accent by the way. I'm not doing and then she says to him but i've never seen you before in my life and he says, oh, sorry. And he turns around and walks out. And that's the porno movie. That's the porno movie that he's either imagining watching or that he's really watching. Right. It's that's like, another what? werewolf thing is what? you. That's like they, the, the worst improv ever when you're touching right. no. Exactly. It's a no but. Yeah, exactly. It's the best, comedy, it's the best horror comedy mixture that's ever oh. been made. Absolutely right, Kellen. Absolutely. But so here's the deal. In the Piccadilly Circus Theater, Griffin Dunn shows up to him in his most uh, 
uh, decomposed state. And good Lord, the Rick Baker makeup in this is so good. Like he gets credit. Everybody remembers the werewolf transformation stuff, but the, gr- the decomposing Griffin Dunn's are great. Uh, and Griffin Dunn introduces him to all of his other victims sitting in different seats. Right. Back of the theater should be full of people who are undead. But when we get a reverse shot of him changing, uh, there's no one sitting there with him. Uh, changing into a werewolf? Yeah, yeah, which is, I think, maybe... No, by then you don't see the ghost. Oh, no, no, here's two things. A, the Griffin Dunn character's given up by then, and so he's left with his with his ghost buddies. And B, here's another reason I'm, I'm certain you're wrong, is this is another thing that John Lannis introduced into werewolf lore, which right. is silver bullets mean nothing. Right. He keeps telling him you have to kill yourself. If you we, Once you become a werewolf, you're going to go around murdering people. And right. so the only solution is to kill yourself. And he wouldn't be saying that as his conscience. He wouldn't be going, hey, you're going to turn into a werewolf tomorrow. Uh, no, no, no. He says – Well, he Griffin says – already bring him to him before he turns into a wolf the first time. So why would he be dreaming about that? Like, by the way, you're going to turn into a werewolf. Like his conscience wouldn't be telling him that. Of course see, it would. See, wait, what no. are you talking about? He's still got his humanity. No, but you – if you if your friend got bitten by a wolf, right, you wouldn't imagine him coming back and going, "Hey, not only am I dead, but you're going to turn into a werewolf, so you have to right. kill yourself." No, no, but Griffin Dunn doesn't <laughs> say that. Griffin Dunn says that later, and he's super sympathetic to him because he says it to him in the movie theater. He's bringing these dead people to say, "You know what? You've got to kill yourself to release us." Otherwise, we're undead and we'll walk the earth forever, and that really sucks. And one of the other guys, and he says, well, do I need a silver bullet? And one of the hobos he kills makes fun of him and says, no, that's dumb. And Griffin Dunn is like, hey, go easy on him. Okay, he's trying. Uh, like Griffin Dunn's still <laughs> sympathetic to him. Right. So that then you're saying that's imaginary? Yeah. No. Come on. <laughs> that's really Griffin Dunn, bro. You know, I'll have to rewatch it because I, I wonder if there are any visual cues earlier. I just rewatched this scene and realized that the angle when he's – changing all the people he's talking to have vanished there's nobody sitting back there with him yeah but we don't know their powers those are ghosts you're just saying oh look they're not in that scene there's no logical way a ghost so, could just disappear so, or will right right so movie he's language crazy kelly Wan, movie, movie language right right i don't know if you're familiar with movies kelly one but movie language <laughs> for it is all in this character's head is to show the scene from a different angle, and the things that were there interacting with that character are no longer there. But John Landis mm. breaks the rules, and he's done that before. And you mentioned that by when oh, when you oh you th- oh so you think <laughs> he's breaking all right. So that means oh, yeah. every single thing in American Werewolf in London could be misconstrued because John Landis is breaking the rules. I'm saying that. When well, he's here, no, no, the rules, I, wait, wait. He's breaking the rules to show you werewolf lore as he's redefining it. So actually, so you do think though that they're not ghosts, that they're that they're actually ghosts, that they're incorporeal. Yes. Oh yeah, uh, and the, that werewolves. Yeah. No, I, I gotta watch it either. again. No, I gotta watch it again because I, I think what he does with the lore is werewolves are going not. crazy. They don't know the difference between reality and 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 dream states. You know, they're Listeners, wolves. Right but, in and decide which of us is crazy. You're saying that he did that, and he also added in that incorporeal ghosts who decompose. Why would a ghost decompose, by the way? <laughs> incorporeal ghosts who decompose haunt the werewolf. 
Because John Landis is reinventing ghost lore, and he's saying <laughs> ghosts actually do decompose as their bodies decompose. I feel like I'm not. Really, and by the way, Tom, this stuff's great. Like this stuff, these are fascinating ideas about about monsters, about undead, and about werewolves that we never saw before or since. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just disagreeing on what I think John Landis's intent is. I'm saying that John Landis is focusing more on him being crazy. You're saying nope. John Landis is focusing more on metaphysics. Yeah, and the, the metaphysics of being a werewolf. And wait, I, I just want to make sure I understand you. You're saying that the dream thing is not a werewolf thing, and that I'm crazy on that? Like, no, no, no. That, I'm saying have, Dunn's character doesn't exist. That it's all in his head, that he's imagining it from going crazy. Dude, you're <laughs> dogs. <laughs> don't dispute that. That's my you know, I, I, Kelly Wand, I'm going to give myself homework because I rewatched the Piccadilly Circus bit. I love the design of the wolf, too. Werewolves generally, overall, all werewolves are dumb. Taylor Lautner, even notwithstanding, all werewolves except the movie Ginger Snaps, uh, Do Animals Dream. That one's kind of cool, a Danish werewolf movie. Otherwise, all werewolf lore in movies, dumb, 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 stupid. The one exception, except American Werewolf in London, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, and Ginger Snaps, the first one, and Do Animals Dream. And it's got the best transformation sequence. And I remember when, oh. that, when that movie came out, I remember the critics were going, yeah, it's just a ripoff of the Howling transformation. But in the but Howling, it's really yeah. dark, and you can't see it as well. And American Werewolf's like, right yeah. there. You know what else, Kelly Wand? Uh, American, that, one of my, that edit from uh, Ginny Gutter coming up, he's been shot, she's crying, there's a cut oh. to his... She sees his bleeding body fade to black, and then that blue moon, that bam, 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 When that plays like the, the disconnect, <laughs> the, the cognitive dissonance between uh-huh. the tone of the song and that final shot of him being dead and her weeping, oh uh-huh. my God. That I want to such- fuck that movie so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and then and an American Werewolf of Paris sucks dick so bad. That, and it's like, uh, why? What? Go back and yeah. watch your movie. Go back and learn what you did. I, right. I rewatched, because again, thinking of like girls' boarding schools, I rewatched uh, the Dario Argenta Suspiria this week, uh, which is about the same time as American Werewolf in London, a few years before. Um, Suspiria, 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 uh, is super colorful and gaudy. I really like that movie a lot. Uh, but, and I don't know when when blood is on screen in Suspiria, it is such this weird dopey orange color. Yeah. And it's, kind of, it's like weird. I don't know if it's like a choice, an Italian choice or something. But I just I remember so. in a lot of time in those old movies, seeing like weird colored blood. American Werewolf in London, like that is serious. Authentic. Yeah. I mean. Uh, what you expect blood to look like like super red the texture of it the way it drips it's so horrific yeah and there's so much screaming they're like screaming and like ah like it's so much pain in it constantly like it's constantly the worst shit worst right. trip ever for the, yeah, those it's characters it's not like a crazy just empowerment thing like oh I'm yeah worried. i've got powers it, it's and like the a- town sucks they're all like get out of here you tourists that's <laughs> so great <laughs> it's like no oh, god it's so all right, did Dingus you see that movie? Yeah, you've seen it. Of course, Dingus, right? Does he no, love that like we do? I've never seen that movie. What? Are you Dingus. Now we've ruined it for him, though. Like now... No, you have not. This, this particular uh, exchange, debate, whatever it is, is one of my favorite things that has ever happened, ever. Uh, uh, <laughs> Listen to these guys go on. I am so happy right now. I cannot tell you how much joy the two of you have brought into my life listening to you 
debate whether ghosts can decompose or not. How are you going to get This is one of my favorite things I have ever heard. Dingus, you have to solve this for us. Yeah, we needed you to resolve this, and you haven't even seen the movie. Dingus, see the movie. Tell us who's right. And I know you live with Tom, and you always take his side. (laughs) If you you introduce the right topic, I will watch it, and and then I will comment upon it. Um, But you will have to figure out. Yeah, you'll have to figure out the right three by three topic that would make me want to watch this movie. This three favorite no, three favorite movies with David Naughton. <laughs> yeah, he's a pepper. All right. <laughs> I'm so happy right now. I can't wow. tell the two of you how happy I am because I did hear I did hear earlier the dub 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 do 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 the blue oh, moon God. thing. Jenny uh, Gooder takes shower. Oh my God, everything's so good. I thought for sure it was uh, a song from my number three choice that. Tom somehow why would Tom be ah, watching that he's well, there's no way Tom would be watching that Dingus, let's find it, out what is your third uh, favorite instance of waking up uh, my third favorite instance of waking up is um, from a movie called diner uh, and so that's why I thought you're uh, Mr. Blue is in that it's not blue Moon. that word sounds so weird after what me and Tom have been spending <laughs> yeah I feel <laughs> oh yeah, I, that movie exists too. I feel I feel like I don't even want to talk about my movie now because it was so much of a joy to hear the two of you talk about the way werewolves. Uh... <laughs> like anyone's ever going to argue anything in Diner with like a tenth that long? Yeah, dude, the hamburgers not. Which is fine. I, I don't actually even want to say anything other than Diner. Well, wait, I, I, I know I, Diner. I know when, much, what's yeah, what's someone which waking part. up that's really cool? Yeah. All right. My favorite waking up moment uh, is one of all of our favorite actors, Steve Gutenberg, is woken <laughs> up by another of our favorite actors, Tim Daly. Um, Ew. And Tim Daly wakes him up uh, by uh, clamping his nose shut with his fingers. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, first of all, I mean, the the whole thing about waking up is, uh, for me, is it's not just like, (gasps) not just that. It's what's going on around that. Um, It's not just the waking up. Uh, And what I like about this particular scene is the way it plays out throughout the scene. And the way I feel about sometimes when I wake up, I, I can't, I my my limbs feel too heavy to move sometimes sometimes i immediately have to jump i have to jump up immediately because i have to get my kid to school or whatever um so there's a lot of different ways that you wake up uh and so this is <laughs> tim daly showing up for his friend's wedding uh as a surprise he's traveled down from new york to baltimore to uh to be his friend's wedding and his friend is living with his mom um, and he comes into the house. Uh, the mom is cleaning. There's a cleaning woman uh, vacuuming in the background. And Tim Daly says to the mom, uh, is he still asleep? And she says, yeah, it's 2.30. Of course he's still asleep. So he goes up there and he clamps Steve Gutenberg's nose. And Steve Gutenberg and wakes up. And then he goes, Bill! And it's it's Billy Tim Daly, and he grabs Billy's hand and pulls him down onto the bed because uh, they're just like doing that wrestling thing. And this reminds me of when a friend of mine like jumped on me when I came to visit my parents a few years ago. 
Uh, and then immediately, this is one of these weird things, such a weird thing. Immediately, Steve Gutenberg's uh, character rolls over and grabs his pack of cigarettes, pulls a cigarette out of the pack, and lights it. That's his first act. The first act of Eddie, Steve Gutenberg's character, is to light a cigarette. Immediately upon waking up, he lights a cigarette. And I've never understood that. There are two things I don't understand. A first cigarette in the morning, immediately upon waking up, or smoking a cigarette on the beach. I don't understand either of those things. They don't make any sense to me. Kelly, uh, do you want to explain it to him, or should I? Yeah, cigarettes come in packs. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Daly. I didn't know he was in uh, Diner. I didn't remember that. So Tim Daly once told me the way to avoid America getting into war in Iraq is to have a draft. Yeah. <laughs> true. And he wasn't necessarily wrong, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, that's true. It sounds I, crazy, but he's right. Yeah, he was definitely right. And it's you know, for, it's probably one of those – if generally don't talk to actors about politics. It's generally not a good idea. But, Wait, uh, he was right though. What show was that? Was that the you nine? Talk to actors. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Dang, so I don't what it's called. So it was something I had like one line on, uh, and I was reading some book on Iraq. It might have even been that uh, not Jackson Pollock. What's that guy that wrote The Gathering Storm? Shoot, Pollock, Sydney Pollock, no, no, it's George that apology of for uh, invading Iraq. Pollock, something Stanley Pollock. Anyway, whatever. I was reading something Jackson about Iraq. And, and Iraq. He was something like, you know, if <laughs> if we, you know, if if there had been a draft, we would never get into another war. Like he just wanted, and there's a whole bunch of people sitting around who were more than happy to let him hold forth. Uh, yeah. Let's see what Tim Daly has to say. Right, about exactly. <laughs> I but really he, love. I love him in Diner, by the way. Um, I remember thinking I didn't know who he was. I remember thinking, man, that, that's one good-looking fucker. He's, he's, you know, apologies for cussing, but he's a good-looking fella. I'll give him that. Yeah. yeah. No, I meant, oh, oh, that's a key. I wish someone would say that about me. Not, oh, Tom said the F word. <laughs> but my uh, girlfriend woke me up one time by doing the pinched nose thing, and I got annoyed. About it. I was like, you just nudge me. You don't have to, like, murder me. Like, you just <laughs> want to put a blasting bag over my head. <laughs> It is very much. It is very much. It is a pretty aggressive. The total I'm fuck going here. To, I'm cutting off your oxygen in order yeah. to lift you up. I have and no idea the, what you're dreaming about right now, but it's about to end with this. This is this is the. This is, you know, I have this long document of uh, of ideas for three by three topics, and waking up uh, is in is buried in that document. And it was originally um inspired by this particular moment of uh, how weird that is kelly because you're right it is a very weird thing to do to somebody especially somebody you love to to pinch their nose and cut off their oxygen supply in order to get them to wake up i don't understand why that works hate like why does that work why don't you just open your mouth and start breathing you well, could just touch me in any way, and it would probably do the same thing. I don't know why you got to stop my br- airflow. It, it's kind of a rude sort of frat boy way to wake somebody up. It's it's like dipping somebody's hand in water to get them to pee in bed. You're already breathing through your mouth, though. Like Tom's right. Like you're not stop. Close my mouth then, and you'll stop the snoring. Like why are you yeah. stopping the one part of me that's supposed to be breathing? Kelly, one thing is, just called your girlfriend a rude frat boy. Sorry, I Alexandra. I apologize. She implied that she loved me when she did it, too. <laughs> That's sweet. So. She shouldn't have used her fingers then. Anyway, um, 
right after that, uh, Steve Gutenberg asks Tim Daly to be his best man at his wedding. Um, wakes up, puts his his suit on. They always have to wear suits in this movie. I love this yeah. about Diner. And then he goes down and has a knife fight with his mother in the kitchen. About That's the rest of our fried, dogs. Part a fried of bologna it. sandwich. Um, so this the, this whole like cascading thing of events after his way him waking up like that snapping awake lighting a cigarette asking him to be the best man going down and basically having a knife fight with his mother over a fried bologna sandwich all of those things after just waking up all this like this is how i woke up today uh i just love that sequence of waking up in diner all right it's gonna be a tough act to follow dingus i don't know what you're gonna come up with for number one and number two tom do you know what Climate Gate was? Climate Gate? Yeah. Uh, some controversy about climate. It was like an email a scientist wrote where he said, we got to hide the figures or something. But he was talking about something about tree rings, and it was kind of uh, esoteric. But like climate change deniers were like, see, climate change is fake because of this one email. So it's like the planet's still warming even despite that email. And it's like despite the John Landis – making the ghost disappear in the back row. That's the email. Wow. But the planet's still warming, and he's still a ghost, Tom. I have no God. idea, Dingus. Dingus, I, don't, I have no idea what that was. Your so climate gig completely lost me. <laughs> the planet's still warming despite this email. My second favorite waking up in a movie. Let me give you guys a line. This was really illuminating to go back and watch this. Uh, here's the line. If you wake up in a different time, in a different place, could you wake up as a different person? So this line precedes the waking up, and I didn't remember this. This movie is so rich in terms of revealing little bits and bobs like this. This is the one of the last things the voiceover, Edward Norton's voiceover says before he wakes up on the airplane next to Tyler Durden. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's the waking up, and so the early bits of the movie is established. He's got insomnia. He's had issues like falling asleep. He travels a lot. He has a bit where he talks about waking up in different cities and not being sure where he is. And then he says, if you wake up in a different time, in a different place, could you wake up as a different person? And then he has the fantasy about the the plane wreck, and he snaps out of that, and it's the classic waking up shot where somebody's head pops into frame either from behind or below. Like it pops into frame like he just woke up, and he's just woken up from this nightmare about the plane crashing, which is almost more of a fantasy than a nightmare. And then David Fincher does a thing where it's a head, it's a straight on shot of Edward Norton's head. He then cuts to a side shot of Edward Norton's head and he moves the camera. You only see Edward Norton down the, the, the seats. You know, you only see him. And then David Fincher moves the camera to the right where you can see Tyler Durden, Brad Pitt, sitting on the other side of him. And it physically looks like Tyler Durden, Brad Pitt, emerging from Edward Norton's head. It's a camera movement. It's like like a visual birthing of Tyler Durden. Uh, And he does this with a a camera shot. This is amazing because I can see that shot where the camera turns and you see, oh, yeah, he's sitting next to someone. But it's not just that he's sitting next to someone. Visually, this person, yeah, this person has emerged from his head. Like a scene. Uh, and then he has a little bit, uh, not his forehead. And then he has that whole conversation with him, and they have the <laughs> <That's> distinction. <laughs> yeah, and they have the, the the same briefcase and everything. Sorry, you God. But this is this is uh, 
the rules of being awake versus being asleep, this is playing with those rules again. Uh, you know, is he awake or is he asleep? He's now wakened into this reality where Tyler Durden is a separate person. Uh, and I just, you know, that this, this is the moment where Tyler Durden splits from him. He's he's imagined him before, like he's seen him in other places. We've had the little subliminal Tylers appear. Uh, but this is the first time where he emerges in actual character. So I love that waking up moment and how he plays with the camera angle to birth Tyler Durden. Oh, just so many to choose from with this topic. Fuck. I, oh, I so love that choice, Tom, because I spent, I, I will admit to you, sort of ashamedly, I spent a couple of days going, my head going, you wake up in, you wake up in, you wake up in. And it's, isn't that, aren't those some of the lines in that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Right, right. Like uh, where he's talking about being in different cities. Yeah. Right. And it wasn't until like late today where I was finally like, you wake up in, oh, it's Fight Club. But and I it, couldn't watch it. I couldn't. I and I love your take on that. In the line after that, if you wake up at a different time in a different place, could you wake up as a different person? I mean, that's, that's like, great. Actually, I never got to that. That's great. Kelly, one, have you read Fight Club? Uh, no, but I speak it. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Kelly, one, what is your second favorite waking up moment in a movie? Do you speed uh, speak Fight Club, Paul? <laughs> Um, fuck. I have like three different things for this. You only get one. Don't try to do like know, over and under because there's cops on duty. Well, my number one is locked, but my number two could be. It's like there's like a floating triad of ones I want to pick from. The one, if you want to try to get away with something, I think there might be an uprising against the police very shortly here. So I think there's going to be trouble. I'm just letting you know. A floating really? triad. What is a there's floating so- triad? <laughs> There's just three di- three equally good ones that are number two. So you already yeah. said your number one is the movie Lock. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he wakes up for that? Apparently, I mean, according to you. Lock? You said your number one is Lock. Oh, <laughs> I like you. All right, my number two then is... Uh, Tom may have to help me with this one because I forget right. to plot the movie. Here we but, go. Let's do it. All right, so a shark is swimming off of the... Sharks don't sleep. Sharks don't sleep, so they don't wake up. That's actually not true. Sharks do sleep. Go ahead. If I can't remember what's happening in the movie, I may just change it. But in the movie Scream and Scream Again... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that is. You don't? I know what that is. Scream and Scream Again? That sounds dumb. What is that? It's a horror movie with Christopher Lee... Oh, I don't like those things. Unless it has Peter Cushing, I'm not interested. Oh, he's the one you like? Yeah. Of course. Twins of Evil. I prefer Grand Moff Tarkin to Saruman. <laughs> Tom. That is true. I will give you that. Well, maybe I should. All right. I don't know if I remember the movie well enough to describe it. But well, what, what, if it had been Scream and Scream again, briefly tell us what the scene would have been. Okay, there's a scene. There's there's a bunch of different cre- weird things going on in the movie, but I forget why. I think someone's making robots out of people. But um, remember they they handcuff a guy to a, uh, the back of a car, and the guy gets out of it by just pulling his arm out and leaving the hand of the handcuff. He just just a shot of it, and then he jumps into some acid. Dissolves for some. I'm waiting for someone to wake up though. <laughs> oh, okay, so there's a character. Ah, see, this is lame because Dingus kind of ruined it already. But it's like there's one guy Dingus. who's he's in I bed. 
Oh, I think he's in a hospital. Every time he wakes up, he's missing another limb. So he keeps dreading waking up. How did Dingus ruin that, by the way? Well, he said he was thinking that's what would have been fun for the Colin Farrell character in the Bug Isle. Oh, <laughs> but there's a nice work, Dingus. Yeah, I wanted it to be boxing Colina. Boxing Colina. He looks down. I love the second one where he looks down at his leg and notices his leg's missing and his arm. And then the nurse comes in and says, okay, you feeling better? Okay, great. And she leaves again. But I forget, they're collecting the limbs for something. I think to make clones or something. All right, so that's Scream and Scream again, your number two pick. It's my number two. The other two were easier. I went with Save the it. tough one. Save it the for Dingus the runners-up. Yeah, we got plenty of them. All right. Dingus, what is your second favorite waking up scene in a movie? Maybe give All us right. a line from it, and then Kelly and I will guess the movie. Hey, how do I turn the safety off my weapon? Uh, rough night. Um, Zingus, you're going to be in so much trouble. Oh boogie nights. Kelly, one, you can do whatever you want. It's going to be, it's going to get all lawless up here in a moment. If yeah. oh, lawless. Shia LaBeouf. Tom knows what I'm going to do with my number one. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow is my number two. Um, ah, good one. It's not waking up though when it's time travel. What? <laughs> I just made that up. It's a rule. Yeah, I'm putting that on the books. <laughs> That's right. We passed. Passed. We we already met. The GOP looked over the rules. It's passed. We're good. It's closed down. Time travel is not waking up. So I love the first the first wake up that he has. Um, I I I watched this again. That whole opening sequence. Uh, I don't know. Tom Tom's crazy. Not liking this movie. I don't know what his yeah. problem is. He's hungry. It's it's so well put together, and especially that first. So part. is Emily Blunt. Um, and. So it's Emily Blunt, and uh, and I had I kind of went back and forth for uh, for Bill Paxton movies for a waking up choice, but I just love this moment where uh, after going through all of that situation, all of that setup for the first part of the movie, uh, Tom Tom Cruise's characters wake up uh, back at the army base, not knowing, it, being as confused as he was the first time around. <laughs> Uh, actually, more confused now because he's waking up here why, and trying to figure out what's going on. I love the way that the movie structures. It's not the subsequent waking ups, which are which are are uh, are horrific and weird and gory and comical and thrilling uh, and exciting in various ways. All of those wakings up are great, but this first waking up that moment where he's actually the reason that he's actually waking up here for the first time uh, on the base. Uh, I love that. I love that moment. And I love the way Tom Cruise plays it, the way he just shakes himself awake and he has no idea what's going on. I love that so much. Uh, It's minor. I think of edge of tomorrow is minor. Noah Taylor. (laughs) I thought you were going to say minor Lyman. What's your favorite? Favorite Noah Taylor? No, uh, Tom oh. Cruise's death in Edge of Tomorrow. Mine's already mm. gets run over. They're all fine, whatever. Mine's when he says, no, and she shoots him in the head. <laughs> that one's good. Because <laughs> he's just like broken his leg, and he's like, no. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I just love that moment. Him, yeah. I mean, there, there are a few... Uh, shots in the head that are funnier than that. 
Tom Vincent Price and Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing are all in Scream and Scream again. <laughs> Peter Cushing is in a lot of stuff that I'm just like, eh, okay, whatever. I'm gonna go watch something that's good that he's in. Wait, that's the one you. That's the one of them you like. You don't like Christopher Lee, said. Right, right. But Peter Cushing's in a lot of stuff that I don't like. Like I, he's in. He's in a bunch of stuff that Christopher Lee messes up. Right. You can't stand Jeez. Top Secret, for instance. You, you hate Top Secret. Or Wicker Man. Oh, right. Uh, you know, that's the best Christopher Lee. I'll give you that one. Because it's not a Christopher Lee movie. Or Lord of the Rings. Mm, I'm more of a Galadriel guy. Mm. Interesting. Kelly Wand, what? No, wait. Where the heck are we? Where are oh, you? Oh, good. Okay. I, all right. Uh, My favorite. So I don't. Maybe. Did, did you watch Shimmer Lake? Is that what's happening here? Oh, yeah. So if um, Fight Club, and especially American Werewolf in London, are sort of about breaking rules during waking up scenes, uh, there's a guy named Orion Uziel who his first directed movie is called Shimmer Lake. It's on uh, Netflix. Uh, he's written some other things of questionable value. Uh, but Shimmer Lake is his first uh, directorial effort. And in this movie, he uses waking up as a way to establish rules. And I kind of can't say much about it because what's brilliant about the waking up in this movie is the rule that's been established and who wakes up when. And uh, I'll just – yeah, I can't even say the actor or the moment or can't even say what it means because all of it will undo part of the pleasure of watching Shimmer Lake, which is one of those movies that you should kind of go into blind. So, Dingus, this is what you were – were you going to pick this or you just watched it? Oh, this is my number one too. Yeah. So, how are you going to explain yourself? Go ahead. Talk. To, say, explain gonna, why it's your favorite waking up without ruining Shimmer Lake for uh, someone. I can't do that. I, I was going to do a quote from it, but it was going to involve just sounds. Okay, go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wasn't even thinking of that one. I mean, that's a good one, but I was thinking of the uh, the. Uh, it, the ultimate one and what you find out the information right. but that is a good i loved that guy though what was his name chris randall or something uh well the the title card for that particular season uh, that particular and uh, not season that particular day is uh chris morrow gets in over his head <laughs> i forgot it had the titles right right there's like andy right. goes to the lake yeah yeah exactly yeah. so it's yeah, this is the where he makes the noise to wake up Rain Wilson. Is that right? right. Yeah, yep. that is so. That and, is then so he, and then he pretends like, oh, I'm just waking up. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a double wake up. He wakes up. He does this weird like, and then he pretends he's, oh, I'm just waking up. What what was that noise? I don't know. Did you right. make a noise? Yeah, he makes a loud noise that annoyingly wakes someone up and pretends he didn't do it. And because the person was asleep when the noise was made, he can't really get called out on it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite thing ever, and uh, I'm so glad that you you got me to watch this because I am crazy about this movie. Uh, I'm crazy about it, and uh, what's weird about it, and I'm not going to give anything away other than to say that it feels like it feels more like uh, like like a Fargo television show in a good way. Uh, it used I, to be yeah. that you would say. Uh, a movie feels like a television show in a bad way, but this this feels like that in a good way. Like I could keep watching this, uh, I could watch a, a whole season of this, but I like that it. I like everything that it does, and I think, uh, man, I think this thing is absolutely solid, and I'm so glad you got me to watch it. 
The reason that I would avoid invoking the Coen brothers is because I think that that gets uh, – I don't know about overdone, but they're so influential in movie making, and there's so many different kinds of, color, of Coen brothers movies, and I kind of think that you know, Raising Arizona is kind of trite even though I love it. Uh, I don't mean them though. I mean the television. No, no, no I know. I know. And, and Noah okay. Hawley, what he has done sort of to run with that Coen brothers tone, there's right. some of that. But what I think Oren Uziel does with this script, and he's so keenly aware of it with directing it, is is playing with, with structure and rules and and narrative form. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's so much like, – like you look at Memento, which Jonathan Nolan – uh, it's, a, it's a brilliant script. It moves backwards. It's really cool how little different pieces feed into things and teach you things. Um, but Memento is ultimately kind of a slapdash in that regard. It's just like something happens, and then this feeds into that, mm-hmm. and then you know this. It's kind of pieced together like a Frankenstein monster, and eventually you've got the full picture. Um, what Oren Uziel does with Shimmer Lake is much more like a puzzle. Uh, and I don't necessarily mean a jigsaw puzzle, but a puzzle where you figure out how things relate and what systems are at work. And then you know when he shows you something what it means and where it fits in, and he knows he's telling you something. It's just so intricate and meticulous structurally that uh, I, I'm hesitant to compare it to fun slapdash stuff like uh, like Fargo, I think. Uh, but the tone of it is so playful, and the jokes in it are just hilarious. Like <sighs> – that, that, the, that the music is great too. The the best compliment I can give this is that I cannot wait to watch it again. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because there are lines that will mean a very different thing the second time you see the movie. <laughs> Just that bit where someone says something to uh, Stephanie Sigmund about – where she says something about, yeah, I watched them plotting the bank robbery at a table. Like when she delivers that line and what it means and what you eventually find out, that's just so playful and funny. It's such a great way to do a joke. Um, right. It's so different from the usual setup punchline, setup punchline, because it's great. It's a formula. It works. But the way he inverts that is just, I love that in that movie. So, haha, Kelly Wand, you haven't seen Shimmer Lake. Suck it. I wasn't listening. What's it called? <laughs> Kelly, you should really see it. I think you would I will. really like it's it. It's on Netflix. I can watch it tonight. Yep. After peaks, bro. Please watch it. <clears throat> hey, you I know was, what I was thinking when you yes. were talking about punchlines? Yes. Is, uh, the movie punchline doesn't have a punchline in it. <laughs> I've never seen that. That's the thing with Sally Field wanting to be a comic. And Tom Hanks. It's Tom, it's Forrest Gump and his mom, but they're love interests. Ew. I know, right? <laughs> God. Well, when you put it that way. All right. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought while I was watching Forrest Gump. Like, hey, Who did these did horrible things to our city? Oh, it was me. <laughs> All right, Kelly Wan, what's the best waking up in a movie? Yeah, Shimmer Lake. Watch Shimmer Lake. It's for you. All right. I'll do a quote from it. Whoa. Mm, is, yeah. is, is that waking up when you actually emerge into reality from a pod? Yeah. It Dude, is. Is it? Okay. Yeah. It's totally. Dingus makes an. Makes I mean, if you guys are going to use time travel as waking up, I guess, you know, That's, all bets are off, whatever. That's not a ghost. It's his subconscious. <laughs> it's decomposing. <laughs> I mean, seriously, Kelly, why ghosts don't decompose? Because the feature of a ghost is it is non-corporeal. Werewolves meat ghosts. and flesh to decompose. Yeah. Unless you kill by a werewolf. That's <laughs> different. That's the thing. All right, so explain to us this uh, this waking up in this movie that someone says whoa in. 
He changed werewolves and ghosts, both of them. He did two lores. You're not allowed to do that in one movie. What? He's a genius. Yeah. <laughs> Don't watch the second one. Uh, he didn't yeah, do so the second one, did he? That's not John Landis, is it? I think he did. Oh my god, Kelly Wong, quit destroying my faith in humanity. Nothing good ever happened to John Landis after American Werewolf, because Twilight Zone happened, and then... I know, yeah. And then he did the fucking Vampire in Brooklyn. Or wait, that's Wes Craven. Never mind. Um, although I like Into the Night, kind of. But anyway, in The Matrix, Neo wakes up, and I just really... This is my number one, because I really consider it like the... The, like... It's how I feel when I wake up every day, basically. But with, like, a worse view. You feel like you're being brought out of... Uh, being a battery for robots. Yeah, and I'm hooked your... up to a bunch of shit, and tubes are coming out of me, and um, and that's the All thing. Right. He has to play that against his job as a corporate flunky. Here's my problem with that scene. Why isn't he like super emaciated? He is, or he's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, he's not. He's in way he's in way too good a shape for a guy who's just been laying around in a pod for you know 30 years or however long. Not well, realistic. Kung Fu in like within. I mean, it's a story. It's what your thing with the mushrooms. You got to get to the point. He has to be doing kung fu in ten minutes. Kelly, so. one, don't don't use my points against me. Oh, let's say see. Also, those pods maybe massage you. <laughs> like one of those things that just gives you muscles. You don't have to work out. You just like strap it on, and it gives you muscles. Okay, that's yeah. fair enough. They might have or because he's the one. He was doing it the whole right, time. Right. Right. Since he's a hacker. Um, but I don't know. I, like, I kind of like the idea that because uh, it's kind of a stupid nerd movie if you think about it. Because what Matrix? Like, what are you talking about? Well, because he's a hacker, and then a girl comes to his house to invite him to a party. Like, it's like something. Oh, I like nerd wish fulfillment. You're saying? Yeah, dipshit would write like yeah, right. Man, like I'm cool. I'm a hacker. I'm a programmer. Yeah. Big company. Big but I'm the chosen cult. one. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Yeah. I see. Yeah, I'm the chosen one. Lawrence Fishburne's my friend. It's really cool. I get a girl. Uh, there's an argument to be made, though, that the Matrix is uh, quasi-religious. Like it's almost this this Buddhist perspective on the world. Is that uh, you, you know this idea that, that reality, as we know it, is not what's important. That there's another level, that, and we have to transcend this reality. Yeah, and that he's still not. He's still in the dream in a dream at. In Matrix Revolutions, which is what Buddha did to to, right. to save people, I think. Yeah, because Buddha was also a werewolf. Buddha knew kung fu. I don't know if that's true. I made that up. He learned it the old-fashioned way, though. <laughs> Practicing by reading, reading about books. it. Yeah, yeah, in kung fu books. Yeah, by sitting cross-legged. Remember the meditating boy? I told you about in the Matrix. No, <laughs> real life. <laughs> The meditating boy who um, – he just meditated. <laughs> I, what did you – okay. In the so, jungle for years. Like he didn't sleep or eat. And uh, what's the writer you turned me on to who wrote Pastoralia? Oh, uh, George Saunders. Yeah, George Saunders went to go study him and visit it. And, and he, he – it's like – it was like raining and freezing, and he's like, I can't even do this for a day. And this kid's – even if the kid's doing what, what I'm going through for the week, but just like sitting there in a toga, he's definitely supernatural. So also a world, just saying. <laughs> right. Dingus, what 
uh, waking up choices have the listeners made for their three by three picks? All right. So our first uh, contributor, I want to thank you very much, um, Francesco Petraca, for actually uh, typing out a phonetic pronunciation of your name. That's hugely. That's that's very polite. Thank you. Windmills. This is Francesco Petraca. Uh, and Francesco Petraca says, um, here are my picks for noteworthy movie moments of characters waking up. The number one, um, the first to wake up is Kane, Bishop's executive officer. That's a good one. He'll soon be known for another famous first. He drinks deeply of the recycled air and groggily exits, exits the room. Now the entire crew is awake, eating, drinking coffee, grabbing a long-delayed smoke break, and ready to tackle the most important items on the agenda, the bonus situation. This breakfast scene is a comfortable introduction to the crew of the Nostromo, who will face horrific fates when the, when the alert by the ship's computer puts them against the unstoppable alien. This is Alien from 1979. Very good. Not so, technically, not technically an unstoppable alien. I just want to point out. No, but it's a great misdirection. Like because the fact that John Hurt's the first to wake up and he's also the first out. But it's like if you're watching right. the movie the first time, you don't know who the star of the movie is, and the fact that he's first, like, oh, this guy's going to be the hero. So uh, Francesco Petraca, thank you again for spelling that out for me. I like that you did that. I really do, Francesco. Um, number two, after uh, after finding out about her sister's apparent suicide, Harmony seeks help from Harry, a childhood friend she had recently reconnected with. After Harry agrees to help her, Harmony drops to the floor. He brings her to his bed, lies her down, and tries to make her comfortable. Then he sees a spider crawling on her chest. Ew. He fruitlessly waves at it with a towel. As he tries to flick it away, it crawls under Harmony's bra. Ah! Flabbergasted, he tries patting the cup to get the spider out, finally delivering a hard flick to the bra. Harmony wakes up. What the hell are you doing? I Harry, feel like I've seen this. my tit. Uh. There's a big spider, Harry explains. Unbelievingly, she waves the whole incident off, calling it no biggie. Kelly, when have Harry- you seen this? Do you know what this is? No, but I'd like to. <laughs> Either, All right. This is from the movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan thought he hadn't seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that too. Fucking dumb. <laughs> he wakes her up by flicking a spider off of her, and she says, Harry, you're grabbing my tit. I love that. That's great. She's talking about the spider, though. <laughs> Okay, what? <laughs> As he explains this, hair, Harmony looks down and sees part of a spider leg sticking out from her bra. See, I trust you. Uh, She's also the number, spider there. The number one for Francesca is from above the city. The camera pans down into the window of a rundown hotel. Uh, a ceiling light sw- sweeps a light across the bathroom, swinging recently knocked by some force. We close in on a man's face upside down with a thin trill of blood streaking down or up his brow. We see he is sleeping in a bathtub filled with murky water. I think his I know eyes what this open. is. 
and he startles awake, surprised by his surroundings. He leaps out of the tub and off balance, almost slips on the emerald green tiled floor. Okay. Oh, I, never mind. Tiled okay. floor. He catches his reflection in a fogged up mirror, though he doesn't recognize it. Wiping the blood from his brow leads to an astonished glare at his now bloody hand. So this is from Dark City from 1998. Ah, uh, okay. I thought it was Memento. Uh, no, this isn't that Dark City. Uh, Roger Great. Ebert's number one movie. Yeah, his matrix. Uh, thanks for choosing this topic and sparking some great ideas for scenes to rewatch. Uh, Francesco Petraca. Hmm. Now, see, why can't Arthur Girarolelli tell us how to pronounce his last name? Uh, Arthur John Ju- Arthur. See, thank you see, for that, Tom. see. Now you made me. It made it impossible for me to say. I'm the Arthur. only one who can pronounce it correctly. Uh, how do you say it, Tom? Arthur Girarolelli. All right, I will say Arthur Giovangeli. Yeah, that's You're not right. Asking. That's incorrect. I, I just swallow it. Um, so oh, my Arthur, God. Arthur Giovangeli. Yeah, see? See what happens, Kelly? So <laughs> Arthur's our next so one. Much. Arthur's number three is Captain America, the first Avenger. Chris Evans wakes up after being frozen in ice for over 70 years to find the world has changed. Mm. He has been placed in a fake 1940s hospital room and he wakes up to the sound of a baseball game on the radio. He recognizes the game as the one that he attended, breaking the illusion that the shield set up to ease him into the present. When he finally understands what has happened, he's very distressed. Isn't this Captain America Winter Soldier? Ugh, nerds, please. Hey, uh, a German he goes, guy? No, Arthur. Arthur. Is it Winter Soldier? The first Avenger is at the end of the first Avenger is when he goes into the ice. He wakes right. up. No, but, but no, he Winter w- Soldier. No, because mm-hmm. Sam Jackson's at the end of the first uh, Captain America. And goes, yeah. hey. He yeah. wakes up and he wakes up in the first one. She's right. He's right. Oh. Who is this? All right. <laughs> Arthur. She. He. Arthur. Uh, All right. You're uh, going to some- stand up. All right. Right, yeah, he's right. You're crazy. It, and in Germany, by the I way, and this is I'm true. Um, they just the name of that movie and the character they call him just the first Avenger because of the a World War. II oh, that's movie. right. You said that before. That's awesome. Yeah. That's just his name. Yeah, first Avenger. You know, Chris Evans, yeah, first Avenger. You know. I totally Feel. think you're completely wrong. He's first. But, okay. Arthur's number two choice, Logan. Towards the end of the movie, Huge Ackman wakes up from a nightmare only to find Daphne Keene watching him. And the two talk for a while. Jackman is growling and thrashing before he actually wakes up, which adds to the suddenness of the actual waking. I like how, after the waking up moment, Jackman and Keene talk about nightmares, as she has just caught him having one. There are actually several nice waking up moments in Logan, but yeah. this is my favorite. Good choice. So Arthur's number one. Arthur, all right, good. I was, I was having a hard time with this one, Arthur, and I couldn't pick one. Uh, Arthur's number one is Inception. Ah. Lots of waking up in this movie, but my personal favorite is the final sequence of kicks when the car hits the water on the first level of the dream. Nolan shows us the eyes of the characters opening as they wake in each level of the dream until they 
finally are all awake on the airplane. It is a fantastic sequence, and it's all centered around characters waking up from dreams. If I am forced to pick a specific waking moment, I will go with the characters are woken from the third level of the dream, only to find themselves in a speeding elevator. I'm sure that we can all agree that there's way better waking up scenes in Interstellar. I'm sure we can't, but uh, I will say this, Arthur. I Not love the way you write your emails. Thank you, Arthur. Yeah, he's eloquent. And Arthur, I'm sorry these two ding-dongs don't know how to pronounce your last name like I do. Apologies Speaking of ding-dongs, our Alexander yeah. Burns is next. Sweet. Hey, ding-dongs. <laughs> Alexander. He didn't say hi to me as well? Oh, that's so rude. He says, hey, ding-dongs. Yeah, and he leaves well, me out. Here are a few choices from movies I've seen in the past couple of weeks. Number three, Winner's Bone. Mm. Mm. It has a squirrel yeah. dream. Yeah. Towards the beginning of the movie, we get a strangely comforting slice of life with Rhea and her family. Oh. The youngest child, Ashley, wakes her older brother, Sonny, by jumping on him in a leaning sort of way, like children do. Sonny groans and moves slightly, so Ashley does it again. Sonny groans again before slowly rolling off the couch. My brother would do the same to me when I was younger. Note, one person wakes up. Uh, yeah, I, like, I like that he's doing this. One person wakes up. Uh, Alexander Burns' number two choice. Quote, you're not, all gone. you're not all gone, are you, Chris? Not yet, no. Oh, Shimmer Lake. Okay. Uh, Chris, uh, Alexander <laughs> Burns' number two is Shimmer Lake. Uh, I'm sure this was chosen already. You are correct, sir. Either by one of you three or other listeners. It wasn't going to go on the list, but I liked the movie far too much. If I had to pick one of the four persons, I guess it would be Chris waking up next to Andy in the car on Wednesday. I'm with you, Chris. I mean, I'm with you, Alexander. All right. So, note, four people wake up. Number three for Alexander Burns, Village of the Damned. Ooh, Okay. Oh, that's a good one. This 1993 Carpenter sci-fi horror flop. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Isn't there? Yeah, there is, wait, isn't there one before then? Like this is a remake yeah, one, right? Yeah, yeah this this, this doesn't count. Yeah, this is I disqualify this. <laughs> what is it? Like what when is you wait two, like what? But, but for Alexander, it was so much fun to watch. Going in blind, I didn't know what to expect, and seeing Christopher Reeves in his last role before his accident. Oh. oh. No, yeah, I remember that. I didn't know that. All right. And he dies before in the movie. Before his accident made it even more interesting for me. Anyway, Anyhow, a whole town of people and animals wake up at the same time after a mysterious blackout in the first part of the movie, seeing a bunch of cows on their sides awkwardly stand at nearly the same time was so strange. The movie's full of cheese, weirdness, explosions, and I loved it. Note, a whole village of people Wake up. Adios, muchachos. Alex. Remember the guy who falls asleep, uh, his face hits the barbecue grill? <laughs> <laughs> While it's hot, he burns to death. Unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's Next a bad draw. Dan Winningham, uh, also known as D-Win. Uh, hi, Ding Dongs. Everybody, really? <laughs> They're talking to you guys, by the way, not me. All right, it says, hi, Ding Dongs. And Dingus and Kelly. 
There's no more ding-dongs. You said plural, so obviously you can't say ding-dongs plural when you're talking to multi- one person. No, so that's how obviously it's incorrect. <laughs> you're just a, a bag of them. Bag of ding-dongs. I'm, I'm going to pre-disqualify all of D-Win's picks, by the way. Here we go. Can't wait. I'm going to pring from. So D-Win says, just one for you this time. Here's a quote. I pity the poor fool who don't eat my cereal. What? Oh. This is from, of course, 1985's Pee-wee's Big Adventure. The opening of the film involves a dream sequence where Pee-wee, Paul Rubens, wins the Tour de France on his prized possession, a tricked-out kid's bicycle. As he basks in the cheers in the award stand, hey, this could have been a best award ceremony. His alarm clock brings him out of the dream and back into his bed, at which point he snaps back the covers, which pull him down off of him like a window shade. He does some quick exercise, struggling with a two-pound dumbbell, then jumps down a fireman's pole, where he ends up instantly changing from pajamas to his classic suit and red bow tie. All right, Dan Winningham, I'm going to allow this just because Dottie is really hot. Yeah, the valley girl. She shows him. Uh, wait, what, did Mr. T's in the Tour de France stream? What? Who's, who pities the fool that doesn't eat his cereal? Kelly, when other people are allowed to say the words pity and fool in a sentence. But he says, I pity the poor fool. Oh. So if you put the word poor, you eliminate. That's true. Mr. T didn't left yeah. class warfare out of his version. All right. Uh, depending on how Officer Dingus rules on how the long wake-up sequence should go, we should also include the very next part, which is a Rube Goldbergian device to automatically create breakfast. All right. Well, since I went with a long uh, sequence in diner, I'll have to go with this. All right, D-Win. Mr. T feels sorry for the unintelligent. So for Dan Winningham, that's it. That's the list. And he knows about riding bikes at night. All right, so Nick D's. Hey guys, number three. Plane. Okay, good. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, that's a good one. It's <laughs> a great one. Planes, trains, and automobiles. The classic moment where John Candy and Steve Martin wake up together in their crappy little motel to find themselves spooked. Oh, I thought it was, was going to do with when they wake up in the car. No, I thought it was, I, I figured it was this. Uh, those aren't pillows. John Candy's a uh, devil. And, and leave apart in horror. I love the way John Candy gives Steve Martin a little kiss on the cheek before he realizes where he is. Those aren't pillows. All right, very good, Nick D. Nick D's number two, The Hangover. <laughs> Ed, Ed Helms and the boys wake up after their crazy night. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, this scene is a great example of why the movie worked and the sequels didn't. Sometimes all you need is Zach Galifianakis stumbling around bottomless in an apartment, which for some reason contains a chicken, which is never explained. And Nick D's number one, The Matrix. <laughs> this might get me arrested. Not by me. This is Nick D. Well, you're not a cop. Uh, Even when you're on uh, duty, you're not. <laughs> Uh, you're the Hugo Weaving of this topic. But when, yes, Mr. Wand. But when Neo is released from the Matrix by taking the red pill, he wakes up for the very first time in the real world. See? Yeah. All right. So Nick D has confirmed. Uh, Chris Markinson's waking up. Hey, guys. Planes, trains, and automobiles has a pretty awesome waking up scene, but I'll bet it was chosen. You are correct, sir. 
Uh, number three, The Hangover. Ed Helms is lying face down on a marble floor when he wakes up after a crazy night in Vegas. Number two, Dark City. John Murdoch wakes up naked in a bathtub full of water with blood leaking from his forehead in a bathroom that has one light fixture that is swinging back and forth from the ceiling. And Chris Markinson's number one, there's a shot I really like in Logan when Logan has been brought to a doctor's office and the scene opens with the camera tight on his face and you can really see the wear and tear as he slowly wakes up. Thanks guys, Chris. There was and, a, a article in Variety. Uh, there's an article in Variety about the makeup artist on Logan, uh, and how, uh, like Hugh Jackman is holding up marvelously. The guy looks awesome, but all yeah. of that, you know, it's just the guy talking about uh, doing the makeup for Logan and how difficult it was. And that's, you know, it's not it, it's not that far different from, uh, at least as far as labor intensive, from the silly stuff they do with like Oscar Isaacs and the X Men Apocalypse and stuff. Like he had to seriously sit down and get a bunch of makeup done on him to look that good. And just considering how close James Mangold puts the camera up in his face, like that makes it all the more impressive of a job. Like wow. that, because it's about, you know, it, it's about like the, the, the tiny lines and looking really close at somebody's face and that scene that Chris is talking right. about. Like that's something where, and I don't, I can't imagine just almost as a point of pride they wouldn't have touched that up with CG. Like this got to all be practical, right? I think so. Yeah. 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 There's so much he has to do with his face to emote. Yeah. 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 I mean, that would, they could still CG. I would just feel betrayed if any of there, if there was any CG makeup in Logan, I want all of that to be practical. Uh, Yeah. yeah, I I love, I love those shots Uh, and the claws. Exactly. Especially the claws. I don't want any CG claws. Uh, And the telepathy. Bullets popping out of his chest. That has to be practical. Yep. <laughs> hey, uh, at the end of Hangover 3, there's like a, a an Easter egg where they wake up again like 90 times later. And like Ed Helms has boobs. And I saw that as the actors going, please don't see this. So we don't have to keep making these. You get it now? We done? We good? You get it? We wake up. Signature move. I can't believe Kelly Wan remembers something from the end of Hangover 3. Yeah, I know. I I gave up on I can't remember anything about that silly series basically after the first 15 minutes of the second one. That's the only part I remember from any of them is the thing I just described. A monkey waking up a monkey waking up a penis in any language is funny. See Kelly Wand? Yeah, that's a good point. I got schooled. All right, finally, we have Chris Webb. Chris Webb says, one entry this week, I'd ask Tom to hold his groan until after I give my explanation. All right. Uh, let's three by three is a free country. I'm holding it. So you can groan whenever you want, according to Chris Webb. Hell yeah. No, I'll hold it. I'm willing to honor that. By the way, if, you, if you're not following the Kelly Wan fan club, you should be. He does a great job with that. <laughs> All right. So because of that, I'm going to hold my groan. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Right, hold your ground. Also, I want to tell Chris, uh, oh my god, girlfriend experience is so sexy. She's so good in that. And I was so delighted that Amy Simons didn't just direct them, she's in them. That was such uh-huh. a wonderful uh, surprise. Well, Amy Simons appearance. She's oh. the new It's girl. Mm, I don't know what that means, but okay. Oh, did you watch Glow? 
Nah, Allison Brie doesn't do. I, she's the. I, I'm more of a Brie Larson person. Allison she's Brie. She's the L fanning of the Brie's. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> but not even. I've seen. What was that movie? How to be single. Like she was in that, and I was like, really? People like her? Like this chick? Because I don't know her. She's in Community or whatever. I don't watch that silly stuff. Uh, but seeing her in that movie, I was like, really? So that's Allison Brie, huh? Oh well. Okay. Whatever. No accounting for taste. Oh, she's funny. See, uh, proved it. <laughs> All right, Kelly Wan, if you say so. I think she's a no, ghost, like and she doesn't actually. I think she's a. I've never seen Community. To be fair, I love what he does with Justin Roiler, Roilard, Roilard, whatever, in uh, Rick and Morty. So that makes yeah. me think. Oh, maybe I would like Dan Harmon's stuff. Uh, but oh, what's did you finish bit... season two of Rick and Morty? Yeah, of course. I love that. All right. Yeah. Did you see the premiere of season three? I did not. I'm waiting for an actual season three to, to happen. Interesting. 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 But at any rate, so maybe I would, maybe I should check out Community. Dingus, I need you to check out Community for me uh, and see if you can stomach that annoying Joel. Uh, shoot, what's that guy's name? Joel. Shoot, who's the lead guy in Community? The the super white bread guy, Joel something or other, who's really annoying and not funny. Edgerton. He's fine. He's all right on that show. Oh, not Edgerton. He's a you're talking about you're talking about Joel McHale. Yes, yes. Joel thank McHale. you, Dingus. Thank you. Ugh. So I've tried. I've tried Community because I liked yeah. Parks and Rec so much, and I've tried it a couple of times. It just doesn't take. What, what's the continuity? Oh, what's the continuity with Parks and Rec? It just it feels like it was. Of a they piece. came out together oh, at the same okay. time, but there was no there was no like creative uh, cross breeding or anything. I don't know, but I just know that when I was. Uh, giving Parks and Rec another chance, I decided, well, you know, I'll try out Community because right. they seemed like they were going on at the same time. They're both, I think, NBC shows. It's um, more, it's different vibe. I don't know if and I, they were on together. Community just, just seemed so, gl- so much, so glib. I don't know. I, I don't know. I just couldn't, couldn't take it. Couldn't take it. I Kelly one, if you're such a big Joel McHale fan, no one holds it against you. I mean, own that uh, shit. I'm a community fan, and I think he's funny on it. But how did we get to talking about Allison Brie not being funny or particularly attractive? How did that? How did we get into that? She's. I don't know. Interstellar. <laughs> how dare you? How dare you? I mean, Vinian. Inter- Interstellar anyway. wouldn't touch her with a ten foot, ten light year pole. Vinian Interstellar. <laughs> Why are you bringing up Vinian? Because it's it used to be the movie you. Put in all your three by threes. So yeah, but with the, with the time Vinyan. dilation in Interstellar, I mean, we could touch it with a one inch pole, right? Uh, you have a one inch pole. How does yeah, Tom say dilation? I've, I've mentioned burn. that many times. Sick burn, sweet. Sick. Totally nailed him. Ding dong. I've, I've already said which character I would be in the overnight. The chicken? Uh, oh, oh, the overnight. Yeah. I was thinking the hangover. The, the Galifianakis? Wow. There are no chickens in the overnight. All right. At any rate, where were we? Oh, my God. So Chris Webb has thoughts about wake people waking up. What are those thoughts? Oh, yeah. Tom's going to hey. Chris right. Webb's I'm not going to groan. I'm holding the groan until after. going to groan. Nope. Chris Webb's one thought about the overnight is the girl on the train. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Oh. He says – I've like already it. groaned. Sorry. Oh. I like Sorry. Haley Bennett. I tried. I tried. I really tried. It was impossible. Last... It's so awful. God, it's That so title's awful. great. It's got, if I'm, I'll just watch a girl on a train. Just watch, there's a, isn't there a Hitchcock movie called that? Just watch that one. I'm sure that's good. Crisscross. Oh, uh, 
Strange Chris's adventure. first line. How about this for a first line? Smith. The girl on the train is not a good movie in its in its presented form. <laughs> All right. Well, what does that even mean? <laughs> I like it. it it's a good it's movie specific. in another dimension. What yeah, that it implies is it imply it, it's kind of optimistic. It implies that somewhere <laughs> on the cutting room floor is a masterpiece of the Dark City universe. Which is not outside the realm of possibility. Chris Webb goes on to say, but inside the shell of a forgettable thriller is a great movie about alcoholism. Oh, oh God. Oh. Groan number two. <laughs> the scene I'm choosing, this is Chris Webb again, uh, finds Emily Blunt waking up in her bed after, bla- after blacking out the night before. Her head is wounded, her phone covered in blood, her underwear on the floor is soiled. And on that she day... Is- which one were you? All of it. Yeah. Blood on underwear, everything. She is startled awake and forced to confront the fact that she has no idea what happened the night before. She sits bruised and bloody in the bath and looks through her phone for clues. She finds a video she made for where she yells, fuck you to her boyfriend. She turns her head away in embarrassment. She has violent visions that make her question whether she could do something awful when her mind is not really there. Well, certainly not to that degree. I can see I've been on that date. That's how Nostradamus uh, felt after his visions, too. He, like, woke up bloody. He felt like he just watched uh, Girl on a Train. Yeah. So then, then Chris Hair's says, I know fire. Tom hasn't yeah. because Hot Pockets are never a good idea. Yes. Yeah, true story. True story. You might think, he, oh, yeah, those He ends good. with a Jim Gaffigan quote. That's Jim Gaffigan? I said that. Uh-oh. I don't know. If Jim Gaffigan said it, then it's a climate gate too. Climate it just, gate. <laughs> it just occurred to me after eating hot pockets tonight that they're never a good uh-huh. idea. I was oh, not aware right. at the time that they were not that they were never a good it's idea. It's like Tesla and Edison coming up with electricity at the same time. Right. Direct current, alternating current. Who wins? Um, uh-huh. So, Girl on a Train is basically a what if you took a junkies or tedious movie, Dingus. And instead of being about junkies or tedious, it becomes a movie about, you know what? It's not you being a drunkard. It's them. You're fine. Uh-huh. Don't worry. It's You know what? You're you're off the hook. It's okay. It's Jim not Morrison, you. you're sane. You're the good yeah. one. Right. That kind of thing. You're drunk because everybody else is at fault? Like Arthur. I don't want to spoil it, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's got that poor Rebecca Ferguson in it, though. It's such a thankless role. If you're like, oh, yeah, Rebecca Ferguson, what kind of part are they going to give her? Now, she basically gets the frumpy dunst of the movie. Ooh, she's all the fannings and dunsts. But she's not, not frumpy. She's not, frumpy. A, she's not a frumpy dunst. She's super hot chick in the frumpy dunst role. She's wearing the dunst cap. Yeah, exactly, Kelly Wand. Thank you. In the corner <laughs> with, with Jennifer Grey. But if I could bring the house down, Captain America. All right, runners up, you guys. Uh, <laughs> Don't sound so disgusted and tired by your own topic. <laughs> just I'm just, I'm, I'm, dare the, you. The, the dunst cap really took the weight. It took the air <laughs> out of my balloon. Kelly, you're normally so much better than that. I do love that the early parts. There's got to be maybe three minutes. 
Eh, maybe not that much, but it feels like a lot. There's a lot of darkness of just black screen in the beginning of Buried after Ryan Reynolds wakes yeah. up before yeah. he figures out uh-huh. he's got a lighter. Uh, but I love yeah. that waking up in the coffin and you're just looking at a black screen and hearing noises and he's yeah. freaking out. You don't know why. Eventually he finds out he's got a lighter and you see things on the screen. But I love yep. the complete blackness waking up. We're in a movie, but we don't get to see anything yet. Uh, yeah, that's my number one. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> Uh, are the runners up dingus you must have had some from like I don't know don't people wake up in Rushmore or something oh untouched. Uh, there's gotta be people Stephen wake- Belmont wakes up for his <laughs> duties <laughs> first watch <laughs> nice. in the tubes torpedo tubes sonar oh. what he's just doing scenes from Crimson Tide for you yeah. I, I like it. I like it when Curtis wakes up and takes shelter, but I didn't want to just choose like waking up from nightmares. Uh, oh. But the, but when he wakes up and he's wet the bed in that particular scene, um, I find that really a compelling scene of waking up. Him waking up and him telling her to leave the room, basically, because he doesn't want her to see what's happened. Uh, I find that really, I don't know, it's just really moving for what. Curtis is going through. Um, uh, I would, I, I was considering the aliens waking up from cryosleep rather than the alien one, just because I like the way the sergeant immediately puts his cigar in his mouth. Dingus, the sergeant has a name. Apone. Kelly Wanch. I was going to out Dingus as not He's knowing not aliens very well. I know. I just wanted to out him. Right. You guys cut out for a second. I would say his name is Sergeant Hicks. Am I right? <laughs> see, see, Kelly one, see what would have happened. Yeah, we could have shared um, that always. Yeah, and I was gonna pick uh, something from X Men, um, but then I got embarrassed when I thought people would pick stuff from Logan because uh, there's a moment where uh, Wolverine wakes up in X Men and stabs Rogue. <laughs> oh right! <laughs> oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> and basically Good kills she her. Has the power, right? <laughs> and then she has to draw his power to make herself not die. That's kind of um, dumb, actually, when you think about it. Like, like superheroes accidentally almost killing each other because well, the powers. one time he does do that, it's her. Like, so it's, it's okay. Like, like if he'd done that to Jean Grey, for instance. Yeah. 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 Or Cyclops. Right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Why is he sleeping with Cyclops? Well, to get to Jean on the other side of him. <laughs> Dingus, or Kelly Wand, I like your X-Men script. Let's go with it. Uh, so those, and then, and then I, I, I do agree with the with the Inception thing because there are so many great kicks in that. Uh, but I like the the way that the listener wrote about it instead of me trying to fumble about. Hey, do you guys have any the, others? In the comics, when the X Men sleep, it shows X's over their eyes to convey that they're asleep. <laughs> All right, are you guys I, ready for next? Oh, wait, wait, whoa, 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 we're buying for position. Right, go ahead. Yeah, the other. T- I'll just do the other two hoverers, and you can tell me how dumb I was for not picking these or smart. But in Groundhog Day, I'm surprised no one picked it. I really thought it was just going to be like a bunch of Groundhog Dayers. But um, my favorite one in Groundhog Day is when he commits suicide, and then there's a shot of him in the morgue. His body, <laughs> and then he 
things up after that. And I remember thinking, yeah, you know what? We don't know that doesn't happen. And you, if you die in, in this universe, maybe you wake up in another one. And because uh, how would you know? I mean, maybe the every day, same day, every day doesn't happen. But maybe death is just like, all right, you're done with this Donald Trump universe. Uh, Kelly Wan, do you remember the the regimen that, that the guy establishes in El Incidente in the stairwell when he uh, wakes up versus the, the older guy? The guy who runs around? Yeah, yeah, the guy who's super fit and he runs and then they, they uh, worship in front of the body. And, uh, do you yeah, remember in his that? shower. Yeah, yeah, and the way he makes a shower. Like that's his early morning regimen while the old guy's just dragging himself through trash. Like yeah. I like that waking up. That was cute. I know which character I am. <laughs> You still no, need to just explain that movie to me chronologically at some point. Because I'm still. Uh, all right. You just made me feel so stupid. Huh? Why now? Because uh, because Moon. Groundhog Day uh, makes me think about when he wakes up in Moon. Right. Yeah, but he's not. Wait, but that's the cheat, right? You're talking about the cheat moment in Moon. No, I'm talking about the the alarm clock that wakes him up. Oh, like for his daily routine, you're saying? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I really like that. Or not the cheat, when he wakes up at the table, too, and says, is there somebody else in the room? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Gertie, is there somebody else in here? Oh, man. I totally missed an opportunity with Moon. Damn it. Groundhog Day Day makes me think of Moon. It's a good thing you got that Edge of Tomorrow movie in there, Dingus. Shut up, Edge of Tomorrow is an awesome movie, Josh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, if you don't want to see Emily Blunt very much, if you just want her sidelined, sure. Yeah, it's great for that. You mean doing push-ups? As long as she's not an alcoholic and girl in her car. Oh, God. I can't believe I watched that thing. She's funny in any language. (laughs) All right. Kelly Wan, did you have other runners-up? Yeah, one last one. Yes. Then I'll shut up. But it's a good one. And it's another one I'm surprised no one picked was uh, 28 Days Later at the beginning when Killian Murphy wakes up. Sure, oh, right. damn. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's kind of a, it's a reprise of the Day of the Triffids opening. Eh. Guy wakes up in the hospital. Oh, it's yeah, okay, up. I can see that. I can see that with the world's ended kind of. All right. But also, I like that a lot, Kelly. It's no scream and scream again, but it's great. That's true. Um, he has all his limbs. But, like, also just in terms of, like, that's what you're waking up to. Also, yeah. Kelly Wand, you'll like this. You see his penis. Yeah, I do like that. I like Dixon movies. Blue or otherwise. There, there should be more. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. I just don't get We shouldn't. Why, why are we ashamed? Like the, that's why us. I like the big sleep. If, if small boys have dicks, like, why would seeing a dick in a movie go, oh, what? What's that thing? Oh, yeah, this thing I already have. Oh, what? Stupid. But, um,. Getting back to 20 days later, at the I think the original ending makes that opening even better because oh right he dies at the end, so it's like oh oh no I thought up. you meant because he wakes up and Serena his they've they've rescued him and he's uh, in the in the the building where the you know they're taking the sheets down and the jet flies overhead I thought you meant like it's a it's a horrific waking up and then the end of the movie is an idyllic waking up no I meant he wakes up and then he goes back to sleep at the end. You want him to die at the end. All right, Kelly Wan, you're rude. That's mean. I think it's a better opening. It, it makes the opening better if he dies. One of, the, one of the many subversive things that Danny Boyle and Alex Garland did with 28 Days Later, everybody focuses on the running zombies. Oh, zombies aren't fast. Yeah. Simon Pegg, you're wrong, by the way. But one of the other subversive things he did was creating a zombie mythology that allowed for a happy ending because the zombies would would starve. Like that, that was kind of subversive as well. 
uh, is the zombie apocalypse resolves itself and it's over. Wait, the Shaun of the Dead zombies ran? Now, Simon Pegg did a, uh, a, a I think okay. it was in response to Charlie, a guy named Charlie Booker, who was partly responsible for the Black Mirror series. He's an English uh, writer. Uh, he had done there's a, a zombie miniseries it's actually very good with Riz Ahmed uh, called Dead Set and it had fast mm. zombies and I think Simon Pegg wrote an opinion piece that lots of dumb nerds passed around in which Simon Pegg was like zombies ha- you know, he's, he's like this zombies have to be slow because he's English uh, say. and he's wrong he's dead wrong and I've explained you know what I, what's John Landis say he's undead wrong so wrong, yeah. Undead wrong, yeah. But it, right, so it was super subversive to make fast zombies, but it's important. It also works. It makes zombies relevant, by the way. The metaphor that that uh, that was being used by George Romero when he sort of envisioned zombies, the zeitgeist he was tapping into, is very different than what we have today. Right. And part of what Alex Garland and Danny Boyle did is they made zombies more relevant to a world where part of the anxiety they tap into is the speed of virulent disease, for instance. Right, yeah. So I, like it, both. I don't so, see it's got to be either or. You can right, right, right. Simon Pegg did in his little essay, and I think he was probably just kicking it. He was probably just trying to deliberately be provocative, was basically saying zombies have to be slow or they can't be fast or it undermines what they're about. I would say to him, oh, okay, then they should be Haitian too if you're going to be a purist. Nice, like, Kelly Wall. Nice. Wow. See? Good comeback. Mm-hmm. All right, Kelly Wall, are we done with your wakings up? Yeah, sorry. All right, but I think 28 days later would be exciting. That's so. a great one. Very it's good. very exciting. That's a good choice. All right. By way of ex- in introducing next week's 3x3, three three, Dingus, do you agree with me that Sweet. Kelly Wand should see the movie uh, after Shimmer Lake? You should watch Shimmer Lake first. But then after that, he should watch a movie called Mordecai. Oh. Yeah, I, I, think it, I think it's in Kelly's wheelhouse. Uh-oh. Why aren't like you more enthusiastic? <laughs> what did you say? Too more enthusiastic. No, yeah, I think you should see it. Definitely. But you liked yeah, it, right? Allie's like it's a, it, got, it, got, it flopped. It made no money. It got notoriously bad reviews. Everyone thinks that Mordecai is like toxically bad. It's horrible. It's like Ishtar level m- movie. No, maybe. I don't understand any of that. I don't think it's as good as Hudson Hawk. <laughs> but I agree with you that the with everything that you said previously about it, about how much uh, Johnny Depp commits to the role, how good he is in it, how great the chemistry is. Yeah, I think yeah, Kelly everyone wants to in that has, has a lot of fun. Like even yeah, like even when Olivia Munn and Jeff Goldblum shows up, and certainly Paul Bettany is just I, people are just having Paul so Bettany much fun is in that. Amazing in the movie, he's yeah. just, he just everybody is yep. commit. I mean, they commit. And even the director, like the little set pieces that they do, and uh, yeah, Mordecai, I, I just don't. How was it compared to Ishtar? Because I'm an Ishtar apologist. Well, because Mordecai made uh, it, it didn't make any money. Uh, the studio was behind it. You know, they marketed it, but no one showed up to see it. Uh, it got, right. it got just horribly cruel. Ba- well, I don't know about cruel. Yeah, I remember. I remember. It. it got terrible yeah. reviews, and that kind of was like, oh well, I don't need to see it. And plus, I think Johnny Depp as, as an actor has kind of been on the decline. Uh, but Mordecai is, I, I think it's one of his, I don't know about finest, but it's him at his best. Like it's, it, it really is what makes Johnny Depp good as an actor is it's, the length to which he'll commit to doing wacky zany stuff. Go ahead. Nicholas. 
it's surprising to see him do it now after yeah. seeing the some of the things he's done lately. Yeah. Some of the Tim Tim Burton stuff that he That's seems to do. That's the thing. The just... reviews probably got to him. He probably went, all well, right, he... fine. I won't do anything like that. No, no, even before. Even before Mordecai, though. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. He seems to just get himself like slotted into these weird Tim Burton roles that are just meaningless and fluff. And this is – it was surprising to see this at this point in his career, and I was really happy to see it. So it's, that will – oh, go ahead, Kelly Wand. Just it's weird how that – like comedies – like some great comedies are, are totally bomb when they come out. And then later on people go, wait, this is great. Like like, like MacGruber was a huge bomb. Oh. No offense. You know, it's it's actually on the same level as that. I mean, Yeah, yeah, I, I was going to say, absolutely. I right, really, right. I like all of the – I mean – Giant Dip does all these little, like weird little noises during the movie, like oh, yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. which are great. Yeah, yeah. All every right. no- every noise he makes is specific and weird, and I love it. Movies where that's somebody's name always has to live up to, like, oh, this character's so interesting, just their name. I'm just gonna remember, like, oh, remember jack robin williams boy he was really there's no one like that that's the thing about this though is i don't the name mordecai like what what does that after you see the movie you'll definitely be it's like a martha marcy may marlene thing kelly wand after you've seen the movie you'll know you'll the name will mean only one thing for you and it will not sound the least bit generic or general it'll be very very specific for you to this is he her brother and he has the same three last names as her i don't even know still it still calls to mind the Falcon, but I, I, the the letter T in there offsets that. There is a T. Yeah. In Mordecai. Yep. Oh, I gotta Mordecai. see it. Then. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. You should see. I'm already in. That's that all I get to. Means like that's probably like Latin for ten deaths or something like that. Who knows? Yeah. All right. So <laughs> then leading to this week's three by three, and you know I'll leave it. Eh, you know we better take it off the table. Uh, I want your three favorite switcheroos. <laughs> this is generally something like at the end of a heist movie or a, a, it's a heisty kind of thing um, where something has changed for something else. And we, the audience, may or may not have been tricked, but we get to enjoy maybe the bad guy discovering, hey, I've been had. I'm the victim of a switcheroo. Dadgummit. And there's like some gratifying uh, – that's gratifying to see the bad guy get a comeuppance <laughs> like that. This black woman I like has a penis. No, hey. no. That, don't even – nope, uh, nope. Not a switcheroo, Kelly Wand. Not a switcheroo. A switcheroo – That's what British theme for those things. I uh, know. Okay. Tomorrow's uh, – next week is going to be such a – we're going to have to have extra law enforcement, <laughs> riot police probably, extra the paddy wagons. Switcheroo. <laughs> <laughs> There's, yeah. a, there's, a, there's a great one in Mordecai. I didn't see it coming. I love the switcheroo in the end of Mordecai. Two things. Do what? Yeah, like, like two things, two objects, or, or you know, a lot of times I don't want to, like, you know, like a vagina. No, no, no. I just want to think Kelly Wand has it. He loses me. Uh, Wait, what Kelly, were we going to it just now? I like, like bag, you know, a bag of money a lot of times. Wait, why are you going to whisper it, though? Where did the money go? I didn't, want to, I didn't want to influence anyone's uh, choices for the 3x3. Three three. Oh, I see. Okay. I don't want you just thinking of that. You didn't want uh, Dingus to hear you. Right. <laughs> He's the bag of money. He, he always, that's his go-to move. So if you are listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, yeah, I know what Tom is talking about. Think of a couple of examples of that. It doesn't have to be three. A lot of times folks feel committed to come up with three. If you want, you know, Chris Webb did it with Girl on a Train this week. Just send us one. 
that's fine. We're professionals. We have to come up with three. We don't expect you guys. You might not have had the training to do that. You don't have to do three. We're experts. Right. Some of us. Uh, so there have to be two things in the switcheroo. You can Correct. do one of them, but the exactly. switcheroo Things things. must have been switched. Yeah. It's like a pyramid scheme. Mm, no, no, no. It's like a delta. <laughs> uh, it's not like a pyramid. No, Kelly Wand, oh. you're in so much trouble next week. Switcheroo. Can it be yeah. more than two things? Like gonna seven dwarves? Can it be, can it be less than two things? It could be one and a half things. It cannot go below 1.5. If you're listening and you're like, oh, yeah, I know what Tom's talking about, which most of you do, send your picks to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com. Get them to us by midnight, July 16th, if you're listening to this uh, before then. If you're listening to this after then, sorry, uh, you missed out, but you can listen to what we came up with. Also, if you have seen Spider-Man Homecoming – and you have thoughts about it, we would like to hear them. <laughs> Send those to 3x3 quarter, at quarter3.com. Dingus, why are you giggling at the name of the new Spider-Man movie? Because it sounds like a switcheroo. I liked, I was laughing at the fact that you put this, if you have thoughts about Spider-Man. <laughs> like that's, that's, I know, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's if a you low don't have thoughts, the- don't let us, just ignore <laughs> us. But if you right. do have a thought about it, you go, hey, Spider-Man... Right. If you saw it and your mind was empty the entire time and thereafter, yeah, funny shit out of you. Right. <laughs> but for fuck everyone off. else, fuck off, loser. Send in your thoughts in a opinions. Put that in a separate email to three x three at quarter three dot com and get that also in by midnight. No amateurs. No amateur thinkers here. Wanted. So join us for that next week. Our switcheroos. Uh, our Spider-Man Homecoming podcast. I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian Murkowski. <laughs> it's Christian Murkowski. And Kelly Wand. What else has a T in it that I should see? Because I pity the fool that doesn't appreciate his cereal. Just like Sophia. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! It's like he's like a Mordecai for America. As I walked out of the movie theater after the credits, um, I was walking behind this older couple. And the old man, like walking with a cane, I'm still interested. Turned to his wife or date, another old, and he said, "That felt like a Stephen King movie." What? I love that story. That's so. That's his. That's what he thinks Stephen King. Like he has a. That's just his theory. Yep. That was like a maximum overdrive, but shit during the Civil War, obviously.